Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Everybody, it is pretty much spot on. Eight o'clock here in the UK, live from Hindhoff Towers. It's John Hindhoff uh, with you and Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 40, October the 23rd, the date today. And no Tim tonight. He's on assignment. Rob is twiddling the buttons at main control room in South London. Uh, and on a packed program tonight. We have some of the usual features, but more importantly, we've got some great guests uh, this evening. Our big interview is Nick Tandy, Porsche driver extraordinaire, Porsche team owner extraordinaire. And in an interview that we actually were going to have on the show last week uh, until the IMSA president news broke, uh, we will be thumbing through subjects as diverse as an errant 1 minute 43 seconds, the Enduro Car Racing Series, Car Racing Series, and Talladega. That's all to come in the second half of the programme. And we've got Shea Adam talking USA news uh, and some NASCAR playoff news in that as well as some interesting news from the IMSA paddock that we'll be having a look at. We're right in the silly season now, so there's plenty going on. Uh, with a bit of luck, a fair wind and the technology working for us, Johnny Palmer will join us in about half an hour's time to give us some pointers to the ELMS, the European Le Mans Series finale at Portimao this weekend. Uh, we've also got the VLN live this weekend. So that's VLN on Saturday. Portimao has practice uh, or qualifying for the Michelin Le Mans Cup and ELMS on Saturday, and then the two races on Sunday, both live in sound and vision here on the Radio Show Limited Network. So plenty to come tonight. Uh, and we'll have a little bit of bike news. British Superbikes concluded at Brands Hatch at the weekend. Keres Cobb uh, was there for us and has uh, sent us a report with the three uh, top men in the championship. Uh, we'll be discussing MotoGP with Nick Damon, and we've got the Mexican Grand Prix. I should have really had the tequila theme, shouldn't I, for uh, the weekends. The tequila theme. Arriba. Arriba. Uh, uh, and uh, that'll be Nick Damon, of course. Before we get into anything else, uh, let's have a little bit of housekeeping. At Specutainment is where you get in touch with us. Hello to Chris Smith, who's listening tonight. To Chris Suku. No AFAs from Chris. A warm chorizo salad. Uh, a little light reading, the Porsche 917 owner's manual, Hayne's workshop manual, fantastic. Uh, and a bit of midweek motorsport for Chris 
uh, of this evening. Alexander Orkin is listening live, looking forward to the washing up after home-cooked fish and chips and a fabulous show, of course. Well, we'll, we'll do what we can. If you don't know, Alexander Orkin disappears and makes the washing up last two hours every Wednesday night. What I don't know, Alex, is if you do washing up any other time of the week and whether you've actually got a dishwasher and you're actually just faking it back there. John McCarthy, uh, good evening to you, John. Had a bit of a Twitter chat with John this afternoon about calendars. Ted the Toyman is travelling to the uh, MotoGP uh, at, Austri- at Australia at Phillip Island uh, for his 21st year. Uh, Phil is... Uh, Remembering that he was lucky enough in 2000, nearly 20 years ago, he was in Malaysia having won a trip to his first Grand to the first Grand Prix there with Motorsport News. Uh, his wife's only GP to date. He's listening in. Right turn lovers in. Dave Alcox in. And yes, thank you. Even I am very well. Uh, standing by calmly and serenely, sort of, says right turn lover. Uh, Kevin Payne. Looking forward to a wide array of subjects. Uh, and uh, Matt Ending got off, cut off by the missing moments. Driving home from City of London Airport uh, this evening. I want to know, Matt, where you were going in Kent to pick up your rally tyres and what the rally tyres were for last week. Uh, Oliver Giles, productive evening, studying, multitasking whilst listening. Carol Brink at Monterey in California listening. And Jack Cabriel saying, um, I'm getting the podcast this week because I'm busy. I've been painting a rotary engine Citroen GS. Very interesting. Citroen GS, of course, allegedly stole the shape of that car, or at least misappropriated it, from a car called the BMC Pininfarina 1800, which kind of morphed into the SD1, or not, depending on who you believe. Fascinating story. Uh, back after Bathurst, David Faulkner is listening live tonight. Paul Markart, hello Paul, listening for the first time in ages, a bit early in the afternoon, but I can tell you that Nick Damon has bought me a nice single malt for my birthday in a week or so's time, and we've just tried it, it was very nice indeed, I, I will give you more details about that. Sarah Rigby uh, is uh, in the house this evening, and... Uh, getting ready to watch and listen to Blackpool Johnny for Le Mans Club this weekend. She's tearing Beach Dean, of course. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yes, Chris Suku points up to Alex. I've seen through his cunning plan. Excellent stuff. Add Specutainment if you'd like to get in touch with us. And I shall... I, I do actually have a piece of paper. Just Oh, no, I've actually got two pieces of paper here. So I will shuffle my papers whilst Rob plays the news jingle. Latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we'll just let the bed fade down gently as I bring in Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. It's nice to have you actually here. I know. Because we've been doing it down the line and we've, we've been all over the world. I've been in wrong countries. I've been in Slovakia, Portugal and uh, the USA since I was last here. All uh, for weeks at a time. Yeah, and... Uh, for people that was asking, it was chicken tikka masala, Very homemade nice. chicken tikka masala. Eve and I had uh, cauliflower rice. You had Eve's famous pilar rice. Actually rice. Actually Love rice. those rice. carbs. Yeah, well, you're, <laughs> you're right. You're running 5Ks for fun. Um, <laughs> let's, I, I, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but this is, a, a, I suppose, our top story uh, mm-hmm. tonight. Is the, the sale 
of ISC to NASCAR. ISC, the International Speedway Corporation, uh, is the how do we, it was the company that owned all of the or quite a lot of the venues in the US. Originally founded in 1953, primarily to construct the Daytona International Speedway. Back in 1999, Penske Motorsports and International Speedway Corporation found uh, formed merged rather to become uh, one of the largest motorsport companies in North America. Now, it's now been taken out of public ownership and um, taken off the listings of the New York Stock Exchange and taken in, merged effectively with NASCAR. The the name remains the same, uh, and as it's it's NASCAR. Um, but there's a couple of subsidiaries that go along with ISA, including Motor Racing Network and a big catering company, um, which I seem to think is called a Murray, a Murray Trade or something like that. I think a Murray Trade is where you trade your shares, isn't it? Right, I, 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 that was <laughs> the only bit guess. I didn't, I didn't write down. That's all right. It's very annoying. Um, I'll, I'll find that in a moment. This is interesting because this is the second big um, delisting. That's, I'm sorry, that's an awful. I think it's. The, I actually think it's the correct word. Right, it's <laughs> the second big delisting of of a motorsport entity because Bruton Smith, the man who owns Charlotte Motor Speedway, delisted SMI, which was his company that owns multiple, and took that back in house as well. Uh, interesting that they've been taken out of private ownership and gone back into effectively family and, and, and private but, hands. It's not surprising because the way the markets work is effectively everyone thinks, well, everyone used to think, I think since 2008 no one thinks anymore, but everyone used to think that the people who were traders were geniuses and you know, magic workers and according to Darren Brown with their abilities to, to manipulate Very mental good. things. What we just found out was they were just gamblers with better suits. That's all they were. Um, and the problem you have when you have something like the International Speedway Corporation and racing tracks is that things can be going pretty well and you can be making quite a lot of money and it's all fine. But when someone prints a report saying NASCAR viewing figures down, NASCAR demographics all wrong, suddenly everyone sells your shares and your business is worth a lot less money. Ah. So, you know, this is the, it, it's a case where we go, do, you know, the, the, the benefits of being listed, you get a large amount of cash to, to spend or, or obviously give to various directors. Um, well, I, and also, if when it was listed in the first place, I presume, and I, 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 I've done a little bit of research on this today, but I presume it's because they wanted to raise some capital to, yeah, do, exactly. to, to, to do, do some infrastructure yeah. and, and you know and that sort of thing. And now they got now they probably find themselves cash rich anyway because they 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 yeah, they are still making money. They've still got those very lucrative TV contracts. Merry Crown, a Merry Crown is the system. Then they the can they, they, so they, they've done a buyback, and buybacks are quite popular. Even people mm. like Apple do buybacks as well. They're trying to keep more in the, in themselves. Uh, and you then take away the vagaries of the market, who will react both positively and negatively on a whim. Um, so, I mean, I, obviously, I don't know the ins and outs of the, of the finances, but it seems to me it's kind of a way of protecting yourself against the, the weather of the market. Uh, and the, the, the roller coaster yeah. that can happen with investor it, yeah, relations. It's, it's, if you think about it, I mean, you think, yeah, you, you, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I have completely lost NASCAR this year. If you ask me where, where we're at, I, I don't know. I've no, I assume because we're in October, there's only a couple of weeks to go, four weeks to go. I have no idea. Three there's, weeks to there's go. Three, there's three rest I literally, there. apart from knowing that Jimmy Johnson didn't make the chase, I know nothing we're about that. We're talking to Shea about that. Stay for the second hour if you can, because um, 
we're going to be talking to Shea about the playoff picture uh, in the second hour of tonight's programme. So Speedway Motorsports Inc., uh, which is the Bruton Smith Company, they owned eight NASCAR tracks across the country, including Charlotte. And basically, that was a buyback, I think in May earlier on this year. Um, and so, so that was that's already started. Uh, that started the interest. Um, at the same time, because it was back in May, this has taken a while to go through, that the um, this delisting then, we say if that's what we're going to say, uh, was uh, mooted by uh, NASCAR and the France family for ISA National Speedway Corporation. Um, it's gone through, and uh, I think it went through a, a couple of days ago, um, and it's... Uh, Basically, the, the quarter of, of what you've said, uh, Lisa Franks Kennedy uh, is uh, is going to be looking after it. Jim Francis, the chairman and chief executive. Lisa France Kennedy, executive vice chair. Steve Phelps, appointed president and overseeing the operations of the merged entity. Uh, Bill France said the merger of NASCAR and ISC represents a, his, an historic moment for our sport. Much work ahead of us. We're pleased with the progress made to position our sport for success, delivering uh, our race for our race fans and partners is job number one. And we look forward to doing that is be- uh, better than ever for years to come. Now, in fairness, they were already sharing some services because the base, I, I don't think they've, they've even moved buildings because mm. they were in the NASCAR headquarters already. It's... It was a bit like IMSA. There's various shared services. Um, it was a separate entity. It's now been brought back back in-house. I think the interesting thing is, obviously, they are now the owners of uh, the tracks that host like 19 of the 36 races, so the majority of the races. You, you would think that perhaps they'll start to move their focus a little bit more to bums on seats, which has been noticeably lacking in all apart from the, 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 you know, the, the very top three or four races, even... I know they don't own this track, but even Indianapolis has been suffering badly with the Brickyard 400. Yeah. So it'd be interesting if, they, if that's going to change. They're now looking like our, our revenue stream will be getting people back through the doors again. Mm. Um, and obviously they have, they have a reason to do that. I mean, I, 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 mean, I, don't, I, mean, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you whether, they, whether it's gone up this year or down this year. I don't know. I think there's probably been too many races this year as well. Uh, and, and possibly looking at the calendar for next year. Um, one of the... Uh, when I was doing the research on SMI, Speedbury... Um, uh, the, the Charlotte company. Um, one of the comments that I read was um, it gives the track companies, and in this case NASCAR as well, a greater flexibility to uh, amend and alter race schedule and formats yeah. without scrutiny from a whole bunch of shareholders who might say, oh, you can't take that one away from track X because yeah. that's my local track. And, you know, so I, I can understand that. Um, so business as usual is what I'm here. I spoke to the guys at Daytona earlier on today. And thanks very much to Greg Elkin for um, getting on the phone call with me and making sure we had all the right uh, information. Um, and uh, it's business as usual. And... Um, it's a big story. It's hit all the financial pages. Um, but I don't think, uh, in fact, I'm fairly certain that people seeing that the sky's falling in might be uh, a tad. Sounds. Uh, yeah, well, Sounds you know, quite sensible. I mean, just, they obviously have to manage to do it. So it's not Nobody likes change. But in point of fact, this isn't that much of a change, having already been part of the no, NASCAR I, family. I think the, point, I think the, the point you make, it gives, them, it gives them much greater control over how and when and where they go because they've mm. not got, they, they aren't arguing with track owners because more than half of them are them. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, obviously, it right. might slightly worry the track owners who aren't them 
um, you know, uh, whether they'll lose their second race or something, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, that's that's the way of the world. And, it's, and again, it's down to, yeah, the thing that's really lacking from NASCAR, from my one-year-old knowledge, is it, there's too many empty seats on those, those bleachers that used to be absolutely packed. Uh, thanks to Moni Elysium for reminding me it was a merry crown. Uh, the, uh... Which actually sounds like a dental practice. Yes, it does. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the Mike's just tweeted in at Speculative, the talk of Tikka Masala making me hungry. Uh, Too late, so... we've eaten it all. <laughs> yeah, I, I was perfect portion control I know. tonight. Uh, Nick H is uh, uh, late. After the gym's success of last week, I'm under the weather, heady headed, and sore neck, but I'm in. You're too old for the gym, Nick, really. Leave it. No, it's, it's, what, we, it's what, we, what us old men must do. Do you think so? Well, not gym. I just I can't stand gyms. I'm hoping my, my, my garage gym, of course. Is that a gin garage? <laughs> so, I don't know. It's, a, it's very full of cars, bikes and gym equipment and the entire portable TV studio that's kind of come back, that's come back ah, from uh, yes. around the world. That needs to get, get distributed about. Stuart Russell's also listening live tonight. Uh, well, with Nick Damon here, shall okay. we talk a bit about bikes? Oh, go on then. A bit of motorcycling first. Yes. Mexico Grand Prix to come for Formula One, of course. Johnny Palmer in this hour as well. Uh, Cher Adam in hour two tonight on Midweek Motorsport Series 2, episode 40. I, I'd like... Are we going to talk about bikes? Are we going to talk about MotoGP? Let's, t- let's... I'd like to say something and that I think... MotoGP Montegi was the most boring race ever decided by less than a second. I... <laughs> it was just dull. Do you know what? I think that is a track. The road circuit at Montegi is a track. It, it was... I mean, even Moto3 and Moto2, whilst Which, there was still interest know, I don't there. Watch. <laughs> I know. Well, I did at the weekend because I, I was unusually not working. Um, Moto3 and Moto2 weren't the, you know, multiple... I mean, Moto3 is normally 154 bikes all going for the line at the same time. I think the layout of that track, I think if you were on a track day there, you'd be loving it because there's some really complex corners, some fast entries to where you've got to slow down. It's immensely technical, but it just doesn't race very well. I just, just, I, I mean, you know, congratulations again to Mark Marquez for controlling a race brilliantly, winning another race, about the 50 gazillionth race. Um, he's won the last 10 minutes. Um, I mean, it just it didn't, you know, they, 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 given, give the company they do, they try to build up this uh, Fabio Quintarado uh, come back at the back second half of the race and all that sort of thing, but it's kind of like, ugh. Uh, and, you know, so you end up looking at things and, and you know, you, it's interesting that um, um, you see that Jerry Burgess has come out and said that he thinks perhaps Valentino's gone on too long. Yeah. Um, which is quite you know, damning from his ex, ex-best mate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, got Lorenzo, who was absolutely terrible again. Um, we were discussing this earlier. I, I, I'd, like, I'd like to throw it out to um, to the collective. I think Lorenzo has been paid, is the highest paid underachiever ever in motorsport. Now, we have we, we've already caveated it ourselves with two people who got paid for doing nothing, which is Alan Prost and Kimi Raikkonen. Prost in 1990, 90, I think, or 91. And, no, it was 92. And, um, of course, um, Raikkonen got paid for doing nothing in 2009, whenever 
he got replaced mm. by 2010 when he got replaced by Alonso. Um, so if you can think of anybody who's been paid the same amount of money as Lorenzo with equal appalling lack of results, and I know he missed a couple of races, but just being so far off his teammate, is he the highest paid underachiever ever in motorsport? That's what throwing out for you there. He has been pretty poor, hasn't he? I, no. How many I, times has he scored points even this season? Not very many. No, and he's been... 17th, 23rd. It's just terrible. He's two. And a, oh, the, the thing was a very funny thing. He said, "Yeah, I found something at the end of the race. I found something in the race." He said, "I was only 1.2 seconds lap slower than Mark on the same bike." Yeah, I mean, all right. Let's take off the point two or even half because it's Mark. Mm-hmm. So you're 0.7 off where you should be when you found something and you're a four-time world champion. Honestly. Well, you've got Declan Bennett agreeing that Lorenzo might be the. Uh, Best paid underachiever. Highest uh, paid underachiever. Yeah. Pounds per lack of buck. Uh, actually, let's. Uh, Dex, I know you're listening at the moment. Can, let's uh, see if we can get Declan on uh, at the moment. Uh, uh, this is literally do, doing it live. Um, he's, he's, and he's currently 30 seconds behind us. Well, yes, so you'll be hearing <laughs> my, me first seeing that uh, around about now. Because I know he does like a little bit of a, a, a MotoGP. Uh, comment. He might not have his kit together, but he's uh, he's firing us messages in. If not, we'll get him on a bit later on about something else. Uh, let's see if he uh, he picks up. Uh, he, he's. Are you there, Dex? Uh, that's debatable. <laughs> well, Declan Brennan joins. That was a, a fantastic piece of scrambling to get that on. Um, Loren, <laughs> Lorenzo uh, as the highest paid underachiever in any sport. I do remember. Uh, a few years ago when Audi uh, this is a long time ago when Audi uh, basically didn't have a replacement when Group B disappeared and for a while Walter Roll was described as the world's highest paid golfer which I loved <laughs> because but because uh, they had no car for him uh, but I, it's hard to argue with Nick on this I'm, I'm, I know he's, he's, he's thrown it in pretty uh fast there and i haven't i I need to think about it but ultimately i'm not sure in terms of the money that they're paying him uh in exact proportion to his performances there has anybody uh with a ratio that will be similar in any any of the of the the top echelons of motorsport i'm i'm simply not i'm i'm you know as as you pointed out he's barely you know getting out of uh sometimes he doesn't get out of q1 no, rarely, you know, rarely. rarely now. Yeah, but then, but there's another debate here as well is uh, that uh, we've kind of touched on a few times at different times during the year. Yamaha has the best bike. Honda isn't the best bike. It has by far the best it's rider awful. on it. It's an awful. It's not an awful the, bike, but no, it, no, it, the it, Honda, it, the Honda's got the power now. The Honda has more power correct. than the Yamaha, and that's the key thing. The Yamaha, I think, still is possibly as better in the turns but it's losing half a second on the rider to say well, it's quite right but, it, but the rider is like that it's hard to undersell this and and i feel like we're getting into the territory that we've been through it with uh sebastian loeb where looking at mark marquez's performances uh, in a couple of ways one is he uh, you look at it as whether he's on the best bike or maybe uh, he is or maybe he isn't uh you certainly have when you compare it to lorenzo lorenzo uh, either has given up doesn't care or just ca- can't ride that bike and the bike is is now effectively has been molded entirely in the uh image of marquez but either way are we uh, 
we may be seeing the, the greatest rider in the world getting everything out of the bike uh, partnered with uh, a man who had simply doesn't care anymore. Yeah, it's a good point. And that would be awful. And uh, Nick, that would be awful if that was the case. If somebody who I, I've never admired him, I'm not a fan of his at all, but I, I, I certainly would, would recognize his talent and his talent is enormous, but he seems to not care. Uh, Matthew Hyman says, highest paid underachiever, Damon Hill in 1999, half the current Manchester United team, Kevin Pearce. At least Damon wanted to leave, but Eddie well, wouldn't let him. Okay. He actually wanted to leave, but Damon, uh, but Eddie Jordan said no because Eddie Jordan had money tied up with the O2 money or selling it O2 then yes. tied up with him actually turning up and driving. However, uh, unhappy about it. Kevin Payne says, just reminded by the reference to the golfer, how about Gareth Bale at Real Madrid last oh. season? It's a fair point. Well, he was yes, underutilized, that... rather under, well, rather actually, underachieved. Let, let... Let's, uh, yesterday was Winston Bacarda's 49th birthday, and let's let, there's the man who went to Chelsea mm. and was paid millions and millions and made uh, made basically 18 appearances and got paid four years worth of enormous cash. Mm. So he is the poster child. Winston, Dutch international, Winston Bacarda, which is good fun to say. But yeah, I, mean, I think I'm uh, sure, sure there's been plenty of bad buys in, in, in football, but this is, I, I think Lorenzo takes the biscuit for motorsport. That's my, that's no, my Nick, feeling. Yeah, no, I, th- and I think you're absolutely right. But isn't the irony that it feels like, in hindsight, that he walked in the door and uh, the and uh, Gigi Delinia said, "Oh, I'm glad you've come in. We have something to tell you." And he went, "No, I've something to tell you. <laughs> yeah. I'm leaving. Your bike stinks." And Gigi went, "Oh, that's a shame because uh, we fixed the problems and it's phenomenally competitive and now. now." You've won three races. That, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Adrian Spooky says, what about Jacques Villeneuve? Uh, Schumacher at Mercedes, Jack Gabriel? No, Schumacher Mercedes scored a number of points and was, was only just a bit slower than uh, Nico Rosberg. He, he and, we, and we found out how fast Nico Rosberg was when he was partnered with Lewis Hamilton. So, yeah, nope. And Villeneuve's career was on such a slow downslope, but by the end, I don't think he's even paid that much. Yeah, okay. Uh, we'll, move, we'll move on from that. Declan Brennan's joined us. Uh, I want to stay with... Um, Dex, actually, I'm going to let you go. Can I can I come back to you in about 15, 20 minutes, and uh, we'll talk a bit of sports car news from the states, because uh, I want to get Johnny in, uh, Johnny Palmer on to talk about ELMS in a sec, and I need to use the line that you're on. So, can I give you a ring back in about uh, about 20 minutes? Of course you can, Malcolm. <laughs> oh, fabulous, that- fabulous <laughs> 80s advert rec- 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 reference. <laughs> what was that for? Oh, uh, tunes, I think. Yeah. Oh, tunes. yes. Well, yes. Which, uh, which are, of course, for those who don't know, mentholated cough sweets. Uh, no, so I'm, I'm just off to get a second-class return to Nottingham. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> well, we'll see you when you get back. Thanks very much, Dex, for the moment. Declan Brennan joining us uh, live oh, here dear. on Midweek Motorsport, uh, Series 14, Episode 12. You can tell that uh, Tim's not here because I'm just doing this completely just do, on the fly. Completely on the fly. Um, stay with... Two wheels, MotoGP uh, was last weekend. This weekend, it's MotoGP. It's MotoGP. And, and nice to see that they've gone from Matigi to Phillip Island. So actually not a bad hop. No, it's not very far. And, and it's, uh, let's see how many seagulls they can kill. Um, but this is this traditionally obviously always been reasonably been a Ducati track because of the, the long straights. Um, but with the extra power for um, uh, Mark, it should be um, a, a walk in the park for Mark. And he, I expect very much like Mr. Marquez with another race and another race and another race. And that's the end of the season. He, I mean, he, you can't fault his motivation, can you? Because he just keeps out there. And the way he, the other thing is the, the way psychologically he has played with 
uh, Fabio Quattararo, who is, I mean, let's not forget, rookie season on a satellite bike. And I think it's full works now. Do you think it probably? Yeah. I think it probably is, yes. But rookie season, having never won a motor, or how, has he won one motor GP? He did get one taken away from him, didn't he? Fabio. Uh, mm. Fabio's not won anything, no. No. Um, he's not even won a race, has he? No. He had one race with him, which was taken away from him from a dodgy tyre pressure. Um, I think he's done brilliantly. I, I said that ages ago. France has gone mad over him. But the psychological games that uh, have been played there by the old master and and the young pretender, he just keeps sitting on his back wheel and then riding past him and riding away from him. Oh, this weekend, he got past just him got ahead and then just went out a bit and then towards the end gave middle with hope. Is that him. because he knows that Quattararo is a threat down the line. Um, and he's putting a psychological I don't th- I don't think mind melt I think on obviously him. they are always trying mind games. Like I can't think that it's going to affect Quattararo because he knows for a fact that that Honda, if it's on the rear wheel, can go past the Yamaha whenever it likes because he's got better drive and more power. So, um, yeah, one final thing on this. The thing to remember is, of course, it's not just uh, Marquez on the Honda. You've got Crutchlow and uh, Nakagami who are both a long way ahead of Lorenzo, despite them also being horrendously injured most of the season. And, and right turn lovers just said that the Honda undoubtedly tuned towards Marquez, but in Japan, Lorenzo was beaten by every other Honda rider on the grid. Yeah. And again, whether he's given up, whether he's decided he's going to take it easy and not get hurt for the rest of the year, don't know. But it's a, uh, it's a very, it's. You know, I think I think the thing has. I think if it wasn't that Marquez is doing really really well, they'd be out of the teams championship. But I think they're still going to lose to Ducati because of the, because of his because they're not screening points. Listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 40, Nick Damon and John Hindoff here at uh, Hindoff Towers. Johnny Palmer in a second, but before we leave uh, the uh, two-wheeled part of our programme, and I promise we will have some Formula One as well with Dex and Nick in a little while. Just hold hold that hurrah. Uh, (laughs) uh, um, Let's go to uh, the weekend's action from Brands Hatch. Watched all of that. It was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, good crowd. Good turn. They I got very, a massive crowd on Sunday. I very nearly went down, and that was where I was. If was I was going to go anywhere, it, it looked was too chilly. chilly. It's too chilly to go on the bike. Um, however, I would... so we're so fair weather now. We're in our fifties, aren't we? <laughs> well, I had other things to do as well. I was quite busy. Uh, our BSB correspondent and reporter is Kerry Cobb. She was there on Sunday, uh, and after the weekend's action was done, she spoke to the top three in the championship Scott Redding first Josh Brooks second uh, but in reverse order we'll start with third place in the championship for Oxford Racing Ducati's Tommy Bridewell Tommy Bridewell you had the same bike as these guys you pushed them all the way are you happy with your season yeah no for definite um a little bit like these guys have said really probably just repeating myself uh I feel I feel like I'm proud of my achievements this year um PBM as a team have vast experience. Um, myself and, and my team are certainly not on the back foot, um, but I feel proud that we've managed to push these two um, every single race. You know, uh, That race almost goes to show that there, there's nothing in our bikes. Like They're genuinely parts-wise, let's say there's nothing in our bikes. Um, it's down to rider preference with setting and things. So... To, to be able to, to absolutely match them toe for toe um, is credit to, to my team, really. Um, and, and this third place in the championship, yes, we all come here to, to win the championship, but 
it's credit to, to how much hard work they, they put in. Um, I made a comment earlier in the year that they're like a little shed in Winchester. It's certainly not a little shed, but um, you know we're, we are a, a smaller scale team. But uh, credit to, to Josh and Scott. Um, I pushed them as hard as I could, and they've pushed me as hard as, as I've ever been pushed. Um, I think we've probably would all agree that yes the racing's been as clean as is you know there's never ever been any um off track uh talking let's say you know where someone's done something wrong or, or anything but i think we've all had awesome clean racing all year um yeah <laughs> bar scott trying to take andrew and half the time <laughs> but uh yeah but um no all in all it has been a great year i've, I've ge genuinely thoroughly enjoyed uh, racing with these guys um, and again, I wish Scott, you know, best of luck for, for World Superbikes. Um, hopefully, you know, it looks likely that we can try and do a few World, World Superbike wildcards next year, which would be good. Um, and we'll just see, you know, like I say, the future is, the future is bright. You know, uh, it's credit to Ducati Corsa for producing such a great bike. It's 123. First year out to, to become 123 in British Superbikes is, uh, is no me fee. Um, Yes, manufacturers will up their game for next year, but uh, I think you know we we will probably only get stronger through the winter. So, looking forward to 2020. I think the start of next year is going to be perhaps like the end of this year. But uh, looking forward to it and um, and just seeing how uh, how next year fares up already. Gosh, uh, you couldn't have done much more. Um, talk us through the season. How how was that for you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have come up and said, uh, you know, they wish there could have been something better happen and you've done everything you can do. And my attitude is I had all year to win it. You know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't just happen today. Um, it, uh, I had the whole season to win more races and, and make better results. So uh, I can't complain that things didn't go my way today. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, very pleased with the finish in the season with three wins. Um, you know, this weekend has gone really well. Another um, great memory for uh, Brands Hutch. And, of course, I'll be back again next year. And it looks like we're going to have uh, a fantastic season again in 2020. And your teammate's going to be quieter and slower, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> I, d I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. As I said, as I said it's, not, it's not a derogatory thing to, towards Scott. But the facts are, if you've got two riders in a single team, um, if they're a little bit quieter and a little bit slower than you are, then that's that's a more comfortable environment. So, um, <laughs> no, no, Scott's done a, a fantastic uh, job this year and um, he deserves everything that he achieved. So, Scott, you proved the critics wrong. You came in as a rookie and you have won the championship. Was there any moment when you thought it wasn't going to go your way? Uh, this weekend when the qualifying I had a fuel problem that was already you know when you just want things just to run clean and easy it was one of those when that happened I just was like not now I don't need this right here I don't need this today tomorrow we come Monday but it was there I had to deal with it <clears throat> and I did the best I could um, and then in the race I had a problem with the exhaust in lap two or three and I was thinking oh man this ain't gonna finish this is really not good I don't want to get black flagged. I just want to finish. I'm happy where I am. So I was just kind of circulating and just panicking a little bit just from the bike. You know, when you just think, don't want anything to go wrong and you hear these little things and then you hear that. Um, and then I was just got back into the zone mid to end of the race and I just had to keep it on the wheels. The problem was I could only make the mistake and that would give Josh a championship. And that was a position I didn't really like being in. Um, but it's better to be in that position than need to chase. 
Um, and it was good. I just haven't won a championship for a few years now and uh, missed that feeling. Tell us about that feeling when you cross that line. What does it feel like? Yeah, um, mixed emotions, really. It was kind of, obviously, I'm super excited about it. I'm happy. Um, but it's kind of what I visioned this year when I came into the championship. That was my goal, despite breaking my leg one month before the official test started. I still wanted to win that title. I didn't really have an option. I had to prove to people that I can win again. And it's given me that chance next year in World Superbike. So to win this and move on was the, the thing I, I visualised. So I'm happy for that. And I want to go to World Superbikes and try and keep this momentum going. Um, and it's been a great great year racing against these guys we've been racing quite a lot and um, we've had very clean racing which is nice hard racing and i appreciate that between riders um and i wish them both best of luck in the future to uh, to all of those riders particularly scott redding who moves on to uh to the world stage to alfaro bautista's bike yes so hopefully we'll be able to have as good a first half of the season and a better second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Right, Nick Dermott stays with us still to come. Formula One, we've got Dex back as well uh, in this first hour. Second hour, we'll have a bit of shit. Adam talking about the US news uh, uh, and also Nick Tandy is our uh, big interview. Uh, at the weekend, we've already mentioned VLN 9, final race of the year. We've got some notes on that for a, a little while. But uh, uh, the big feature races of the weekend in Sound and Vision here on... Uh, the Radio Show Limited Network of Challenge channels are from Portimao and Johnny Palmer will be at the Michelin Le Mans Cup and ELMS. Evening, JP. How are you doing, fella? Good evening, John. Good evening, Nick. Evening, everybody. I'm very well, thank you. Hope yeah. you are too. A bit, uh, Hello, Johnny. You might need to just back off your mic or your phone a little bit uh, there, Johnny. Sounds like you're tad close to the, to the microphone. Uh, we, we move into the final round of the, uh, the European Le Mans series. I'm, I'm very confused because we're only two races into the WEC season and we're rounding off the European Le Mans series. If we start with LMP2, uh, all to play for at the top of the, the field. Clearly, G-Drive racing uh, with the advantage of the teams and the drivers' classification, but EDEX Sport only seven points behind. So with, I think, 26 points on offer, 25 for the win and one for the, the pole position, uh, potentially, that's... Basically, between those two, Graf in third and United in fourth, they're a little bit too far behind. They are. They're, they're too far behind. Well, mathematically, the 39 car could still do it. But as you say, 26 points still on the table. They're 25 behind G-Drive. So it would take an unlikely set of results for, for Graf and number 39 to come through for victory. But um, a very close fight, I'm sure, promised between G-Drive and uh, EDEX Sports. And yes, a thought for the... Uh, for the, the clerk that sorts the FIA uh, driver gradings when you've got these overlapping seasons because, Ooh, of course, point. whoever wins the silver in the lineup, Jot van Outer, will become a gold, you have to think. And then other teams that he's driving in the WEC for, like Racing Team Nederland, can't use him anymore in the rest of the WEC season. I think that's how it works. Well, surely, so the, you're actually having... surely the WEC... Uh, surely your, your driver grading is set for the WEC when you start the season. You can't be changed mid-season. I think we've seen it in the past when Andrea Pizzitola couldn't be used by G-Drive oh, wow. anymore because he went to win the he won the ELMS last year and didn't drive for Roman Rusinov again because right. he was he was then a gold and the the gradings come out at the end of of your summer season ELMS but also must come out therefore uh, the start for the, of the WEC so that everyone's set for Le Mans but I mean you can't you can't have an uh, an ELMS champion being a super silver at Le Mans, no. surely. 
No. So well, I, yeah. I, it, these are all things that need to be ironed out for me. <laughs> I still don't think they've quite been made clear, or indeed whether these problems have even been thought about. Uh, as uh, far we'll as, wait and see. Uh, 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 it's a great track. It races very well, um, and. Uh, Portimao are a big favourite for the teams going down there. This is not a bad time yet to go down there. Hopefully it'll still be quite warm. Um, LMP, we've talked about LMP2 teams. LMP3 teams, uh, Euro International uh, and Euro Interpol competition tied for the lead uh, and their drivers tied for the lead similarly on 94 points. Uh, so, I mean, basically that's dead easy for, for you and Graham Goodwin because it's whoever finishes highest up of those two, presumably. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a one race season. It has become <laughs> so, and of course, the the massive carrot at the end of it is an automatic Le Mans entry. Mm. If you win LMP3, uh, you then uh, are invited to join the LMP2 ranks in 2020. So, it's going to be fascinating to try and find out the, the, the strategy ahead of that, or indeed if there is any. Because yeah, you you just go in thinking we've got 25 points to play for here. Scrap the rest of the season. It's very much pressing the reset button for the uh, American flagged, although predominantly Italian Euro international squad and into Europol competition, the fastest bakery known to man, uh, because that's their day to day business. They've make bread apparently for 20 odd countries around the continent um and yeah the 13 car um we've got um the two drivers nigel moore and uh, his co-driver who have been so impressive all year long and how do you say um, his name is that martin hippie or heap or hipper martin okay. hipper yeah. yeah uh so but it's so so difficult to call between those two. Uh, Mikkel Jensen, if he was doing uh, the whole race, I think he's untouchable. Jens Pettersson doesn't quite have his speed. Martin Hipper and Nigel Moore. I mean, Moore is generally the quickest, but Hipper uh, can easily do over half the race and is only sort of maybe a second off the, the pace per lap of Nigel Moore. So it's all about the strategy, really, and, and whether you get tangled up with other cars, bearing in mind mm. what we got uh, a healthy, nearly... Over the 30 cars, isn't yeah, it, this yeah. weekend's entry? Uh, in yeah. GTE, uh, uh, it's, it's been a decent entry this year at various stages of the year. Not everybody's been at all the races, but we've had uh, nine teams entered uh, over various races this year. And Lusic Racing, uh, I reckon, uh, even if they don't take the start, they've got a 27-point advantage at the moment over Dempsey Proton Racing. And that, of course, is uh, a similar position in the drivers with their three drivers, Alessandro Pagidi, Fabian Laverne, uh, Nicholas Nielsen, ahead of Christian Reid, Matteo Caroli and Ricardo Perra. So that, in terms of the champions, are is, is, pretty close, is pretty wound up. But second place is really up for grabs because there's, um, what, three squads, four squads, uh, well within striking uh, distance uh, of each other, including well, the yeah. all-female squad. Uh, number 83, Kessel Racing, absolutely. And uh, they again on the entry list, uh, Manuela Gosner, Rahel Fry and uh, Michaela Gatting. So, um, yeah, that, that's a shout for second place. We should I should remind you that not only do you get an automatic entry if you win GTE, with Lucic Racing have already done, but there's also uh, an opportunity for the team that finished second in exactly the championship point, to get yes. an automatic entry. So, yeah, uh, 75 points is the most that any of those teams have got. That's the Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche squad. But with 26 on the table, anybody within the, the envelope back to 49, and there are three other teams, therefore, um, have a shout for a Le Mans entry. So mm. 
although we decided the biggest elements of that championship at Spa, it's certainly 100% up for grabs for the other four teams. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, The race is on Sunday. You've got practising... Uh, qualifying and we'll have the qualifying live for Michelin Le Mans Cup uh, and for the ELMS on Saturday, then the tourists on Sunday. Is, is Michelin Le Mans Cup all done and dusted, Johnny? No, no, neither of them are. All right. From my calculations. So we got uh, a seven point gap between Lannan Racing, who were very surprising winners last time out, bearing in mind mm. the three teams that finished on the podium were all disqualified yes. overnight. Yes, of course, we're not sure to talk about that. That was bolts in your nose boxer. Correct. Uh, yeah, so um, illegal uh, crash box structures, or at least the screws that put it together. Mm. So DKR, Nielsen, and Graf were all disqualified. That put Duncan Tappy and Mikey Benham to the top of the charts on 91 points, but only seven adrift are Francois Kerman and Laurence Heur on 84. And it's those two that could win LMP3 uh, with the others a bit too distant. But Tony Wells and Colin Noble will be trying to get at least second place in the title race. Then, I mean, GT3, arguably more important because you've got uh, another Le Mans entry on this. Uh, GT3 winners invited into GTE Am in the big race. Kessel Racing topped the charts on 105 points, nine points back the championship leaders pretty much all year, but they had their worst result at Spa, which was a sixth place finish. So nine points away now are Mikkel Mack and Fabian Laverne again for Lusik Racing. It might be a Lusik double with their result in ELMS and potentially this weekend in Michelin Le Mans Cup, but that's still to be settled. Again, it's between the two Ferrari squads. Very uh, envious of you heading across there. Uh, and thank you very much for, for jumping in and being available for us again. That'll be the whole season that you've done at Portimao. Fabulous track. It'll be a great race. Have a smashing weekend, JP, and enjoy the trip. Thank you. Thank you very much. See you soon. Johnny Palmer, who'll be our lead commentator uh, at the weekend at the... But, but, but will he go for a paddle behind the uh, media, behind I think, the desk? I think you have to. Is, isn't that absolutely... Well, um... I think that's one of the strangest things at a track. Right. Because it's not a swimming pool. It is a large swimming pool looking item of water but in the entrance of the paddock. But it's, what is it, would you say it was two foot deep? If that. And it, what's the point? Mm. What's the point? Um, I, I, did, I had a, t- a similarly strange um, pool. Um, I think first... you should have RC yacht racing in it. It's brilliant. Uh, we could probably get power boats. They change direction really quickly. No, or I, I, yacht racing is much hard more... To, hard to do in Portimao. Freeze it. And then just have ice racing. Yes, very good. Uh, shall we move on and shall we do a little bit of uh, F- Formula One? Go on then. Uh, so if you're going to have Formula One, we have our Formula One correspondent, Nick Dearman. Uh, hooray! Oh, free vibrato, fantastic. Yeah, did you like that? Yeah. Uh, I, was try- I was trying my best there. Uh, shall we start with? Uh, shall we start with the Japanese Grand Prix? That was two weeks ago. Yes. Well, ten days ago. We've just had uh, the decisions. The three, Are we? three and twenty-seven. Oh, that, that was the argument about the um, uh, automatic adjustment of brake balance uh, by the um, uh, the Renault cars mm-hmm. um, because they can automatically adjust their brake balance um, using uh, effectively GPS technology because they knew where they, they knew where they were on the track, they knew how fast they were going, so they had an auto thing. So rather than as you often see the driver having to fiddle a button on his steering wheel mm. uh, it would be done uh, automatically and dynamically based on the car knowing where it was which is completely illegal 
Well, you might as well at that point just have it steer for you as well. Mm. The protest has been upheld. So car three is disqualified from the final right. classification of the British Grand Prix. No, Japanese Grand Prix. Uh, sorry, Japanese Grand Prix. That was the Renault. Uh, that was It was Racing Point that uh, yeah. had a go, didn't they? Yeah. Um, this has just come out uh, an hour ago, so I haven't had a chance to see or read this. They, this, they, what they've done is they've reacted to the protest and they've banned the car. Yeah. The question is. So that's both of the Renaults that have but been the excluded question from is, the results. How long has it been on the car? Yes. It's very dodgy, and I don't. And I'm really sorry. I should, you know, as the F1 correspondent, I should know what happens next, because my feeling is this has to go somewhere else at this point, because they can the stewards can ban the car, but then the FIA surely needs to go and say you can't do that. But I can't read this at the moment to find out what's been done. Uh, well, uh, the conclusions of the stewards is, uh, did you, Renault use power devices to alter the brake system? Did they use a preset lap distance dependent base system to make changes? Did they use in their car only buttons to affect the driver control leading to the ultimate question, does the driver drive the car alone and aided as mandated by 27.1? Uh, of the uh, regulations uh, and basically after uh, review the, the stewards agree uh, with the results of the experts uh, and say I'm just having a look here checking the button steering uh, rear brake controller software used by runner is an integral part of the control system as such it's in compliance with article blah 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 described system is not preset lap distance dependent they do use buttons whilst Renault used innovative solutions to exploit certain ambiguities. The system doesn't breach any current technical regulation. Mm. So why have they thrown the car out then? Although, however, although legal and the FA Form 1 technical regulation noted, the stewards find that Renault has been constituted driver aid and therefore is not in compliance with ah. Article 27.1. So they've been done by... Um, they've passed wow. letter of the law but failed spirit of the law. Okay. That seems that Which seems might reasonable. mean there isn't going to be anything more than just this. No, it'll go on, and of course there'll be. No, they could um, appeal it, obviously. Uh, they will. Well, it's a question of what. Well, um, Watch this space. It's going. To, it'll kick off over the weekend. Um, Peter didn't come a bit earlier. We could have a bit more. Um, uh, what happens nextness about you can, things? Well, you can have a look at that and tweet that a bit later. Sure. Possibly. I don't think. I think. I think. I think it won't be. I don't think we'll get anything of what happens next, and it's probably until uh, what is it Thursday tomorrow, Friday. I think that's when everyone will be, be up and running in in uh, Mexico. Uh, let's talk about Mexico very quickly. It's uh, altitude. Yeah. It's uh, long, fast straights. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's not always been an easy win for Mercedes, though, it hasn't has it? Been a, it's been an easy last two two times out. It's been an easy inverted commas win for Red Bull. Mm. However, the key point about that isn't actually the Red Bull bit. No. It's the Renault bit. Yes. The Renault engine is was, seems to lose far less of its performance at altitude. That's the key thing about uh, Mexico. It's 6,000 feet, is it, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. But it's at altitude. And that, especially, you know, with a, a turbocharged engine, it's, you know, they, they, they're better than normally aspirated engines, but still they lose the same amount of power because you've, uh, you're, you have less oxygen in the air. And the Renault engine has always performed very well there. Now, everyone goes, oh, we'll look at the super-duper um, you know, Red Bull chassis. Well, the fact was that then they got the Honda engine, which we've no idea whether that's, how that performs because it's, it's been constantly developed high up. So, interestingly, 
Um, it seems that yeah, the, the, even the Red Bull are playing down their hopes now. Uh, Mercedes are basically going, they haven't got a hope in heck because Ferrari is super, 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 super fast and super powerful and it's a long straight. Um, the thing to remember is that um, they have an advantage of power, yeah? But everyone's power is down 20%, so their advantage is 20% less. Mm. Uh, also, it's thinner air, mm. so there's less drag and less downforce. And, of course, um, the Mercedes is draggier, so therefore we go, well, we don't really know. It's more likely, of course, Ferrari going to be super-duper fast, but the net effect around a whole lap, who knows? Uh, and thanks to uh, Rob Lormas, our tech often producer tonight up in uh, London, for spotting that and firing it through to us. That came out... About 20 minutes ago, that decision, or at least a tweet came out about uh, 20 minutes ago uh, from the FIA. Haven't had the facts yet. I might have to nip through into Eve's office. And, it's and probably still coming through. It's quite a slow feed. Cut it is. Uh, welcome back to Declan Brennan, who joins us again. Uh, and we can actually call you an American correspondent now, can't we? <laughs> My fellow Americans, I am an American. Are you? I am. Yeah. I, I, I was sworn in today. Really? They said, come in, you yes. idiot. You passed the test. <laughs> Literally. This, goes, said, this does said, prove they'll let anyone in. <laughs> can you say feck? And I went, yes, I can. <laughs> You're in then. You're in. Yes. Just, does the, is, is this going to make a, a fundamental difference then uh, to, your, uh, to, to the way you work with us? The only difference would be when I go back to the UK and I get on the tube, I'll start making eye contact with people and talking to them. Well, I do that because I'm from the north, so <laughs> and, and people think I'm going to rob them or something. Uh, Dex got you on in, in this. Uh, so I have one further question for him. Yes. Well, he's now American mm. and Irish. Does that mean he's become a policeman too? Oh yes, <laughs> almost certainly. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I, and I'll be. Uh, I'll, I will run Chicago by the end of the day. Excellent. Uh, Could I have some bootleg liquor, please? Uh, it, yeah, no can problem. we have any more stereotypes from <laughs> from Dearman? Uh, I'll your tenant. <laughs> Please, if you want to get in uh, tonight. Uh, Dex, I want to get you on because um, of a, a, an, in, an interesting and intriguing bit of news that came out of SRO. It was the SRO finale at Las Vegas, wasn't it? And they had their global awards uh, at Las Vegas at the weekend. Uh, and by the way... I was at that. I was at both. Yes. Uh, uh, and by the way, congratulations to uh, all of the Aston Martin drivers who were there. And in particular, Johnny Adam, who uh, won for the second time the um, Let- Alan Simonson uh, Award. Yes, which um, is lovely. Which was very, I will say very congratulations lovely. to everybody who uh, got through that award ceremony because they I- basically I was told had it was every- very long. It was very long. David Addison did a fine job, I have to say. Uh, they also did a fine job generally presenting 125 winning trophies in what seemed like three it hours. It was, but it was five hours, less was it? Than... No, it, was even... it wasn't that long. It was kind of extraordinary. But it was also, I'm not sure it's anything they'd, they'd ideally do again. It was the no. 30th anniversary of, of the Stefan Hotel organization, so that was fair enough. But uh, However, the, it... big, the big news to come out of that, Dex is the long-time um, partner, commercial partner, advertising sponsorship partner of Stefan Mattel Blancpain. He's no longer going to be involved, at least in the American side of things. And I, I've, I've read that release a couple of times, and I think it's only in the American side of things. Or have they withdrawn no, from the whole lot? The whole lot. No, it's, it's, it's global. It's, right, okay. They are no longer the primary partner. And it's... What was really interesting was the the Bonpan representative stood up and and it was just the most beautiful uh, study in saying nothing 
while saying something. Right. Uh, it, it's just, it's just, we are so now uh, almost immune to to marketing speak. But it was, uh, you know, while we're uh, if 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 you come from outside the business and sat there, you wouldn't have had any idea what a what he was talking about and b what his conclusion was. But it was yes, they are they are no longer going to be the main partner uh, uh, globally. Of I, I believe they're going to stay on as a as a partner, so they'll still be handing out Blanc Pan watches and and that sort of thing. But but the Blanc Pan series, as we know it, and arguably we will continue to call it because uh, studies will tell you that uh, residual branding is takes about half a year if not more to disappear mm. uh it's so basically all of us will be calling it the blanc pan for till at least may or june of of, uh, <laughs> of next season well particularly now, if they don't get another sponsor and it's uh, there was no um there was no replacement announced at that time no. now that sometimes is deliberate because you don't want to uh, you, you don't want to tread on the outgoing sponsor by bringing the new guys in. Sometimes that's unavoidable, uh, but but certainly um, at the moment, it, you know you've got a, you've got a team. You represent a team that's involved in the American series. Anything that you guys have heard on the horizon? Yes, yes. So I, I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. I think that was Blancpain's and I to some extent along yes. with the SRO. So so it was a, it was it, it was a fair and, and proper thing to do to uh, give them. Uh, the stage and 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 the the, the exposure that night, uh, but I was told privately that there is a new partner coming in who will be uh, a little bit more active and a little bit more U.S. facing. Yes, Blancpain has. Uh, is that uh, for the U.S. Well, alone, Dex, or will that be? A no, new I believe sponsor? it's global. I, right. and I might be wrong, but I believe it's global. But it will certainly. I think it will have more of an impact from a marketing perspective on the U.S. Because that's the. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Uh, you know, there were probably more people in the Bellagio for the award ceremony than, than there were spectators at the track uh, at, the, at the weekend. Uh, you know, uh, the Blancpain, in terms of promoting the racing in the what was the World Challenge to, to fans in the United States, does nothing. Yes, it doesn't. It doesn't help. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily hinder. It just doesn't do anything. Uh, I think. We need uh, a a partner that is going to take the series by the throat and really promote it. Now, obviously, a few other things happening there. Uh, the the move to uh, pro am is interesting as well. Uh, that that came that was who's the other asked major... for that, Dex? Because I, I, you know I've spoken to some of the teams, I've spoken to some of the drivers. You'll have a better take on this than me. And I'm not. That wasn't a question that I was hearing asked a lot. But I mean, you'll know better. Well. Car counts are an issue. This is, by the uh, way, there'll be no pro cars. Uh, it will be pro-am and am-am only in the future. Yes, no all correct. pro cars. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know for a fact that that is going to boost the car count because I don't know if it will. Because ultimately what it would have to do, first of all, is somebody like K-Pax uh, and Scuderi Corsa, etc., would have to decide, well, we're going to stay in the series and we're going to run, instead of running two probe Brentleys with four drivers, we're going to find the best possible bronze drivers, uh, you know, and, and, and arguably give them a deal to run if they want to stay in it. And I don't know if that works for either the brands involved, whether Ferrari really want that or whether Bentley or even K-Pax really want that. I, I, that is yet to be seen. I, I, will it 
ultimately impact car counts in a positive way? I don't know. And I wish I could give you uh, a more of a, a yeah. definitive answer. I, it Costs are going to be the same. Ultimately, our cost won't change because we're running, you know, uh, running pro am. Uh, the 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 fundamental difference in cost for us would be going to sprint races as opposed to because if you, if you went to sp- a sprint race uh, format with no pit stop, for example, you you bring significantly less crew. Yes, and therefore your costs are significantly reduced on a on a weekend basis. But that's not the for that there's not going to be a format change there is simply going to be a change to to the now that may attract more people who want to drive uh for overall wins i, I on yes. john i don't know you look at mike headland yeah mike headland's uh twitter and mike headland will happily say i want to i want to drive pro-am but i want to measure myself against the pros because he beat them this year with yes he did with Dan Cameron in that that excellently run, hats off to them. We're running the Acura, the real time did a brilliant job, yeah. uh, and they won overall. So he that that for him that loses one of the aspects that he loves about that type of racing. I don't know, John. I honestly can't give you the definitive answer. I just hope the car counts do improve because it's a it's a good show. Uh, it gets nicely presented on 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 the digital platforms, but. But it kind of exists in a vacuum a little bit. Yeah, and a, a new sponsor might help with that, as you said. Dex, thanks very yeah. much. Congrats on your citizenship. Uh, uh, you're listening to the Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 40. Real uh, spirited debate going on about the uh, the drivers in particular who have, uh, have, have done the least for being uh, the most. Uh, keep that coming in at Specutainment. Clive Stonebridge. Uh, uh, Chad Nyland suggested that the person in motorsport uh, uh, who uh, falls in that category is Richard Krill. Krill, uh, um, I, I, I'd argue it's me, yeah. but uh, hopefully my boss is listening. Well, Chad Nyland <laughs> but, uh, says, sorry, I thought it was who was paying the most to be involved in motorsport. <laughs> and on that basis, you're right, it is Krillzy, because none of us obviously get paid for doing uh, what, what we do. Dex, uh, Nick, for the moment, thank you very much indeed. Oh, sorry, you caught me off guard there. <clears throat> it's Midweek Motorsport, and here's what's coming up. Uh, more of your suggestions, please, uh, on that on that particular topic of uh, who's done least for being paid the most in motorsport. At Specutainment, uh, still to come in Hour 2 of Midweek Motorsport, Series 14, Episode 40. Uh, Shea Adam will be with us. We've got a whole lot of silly season news to go through, as well as some real news as well, from the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship paddock. Uh, we'll catch up on the latest from the NASCAR playoffs. We had the business news earlier. Now we'll have the race news with Shea. And probably time for an update on the F1 Miami Grand Prix. That's all still to come. But first, the big interview is Maybe Nick Tandy. RadioLeMond.com I've come over to JTR, the Porsche Carrera Group Great Britain champion team for 2019. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that championship right now. I've got Nick Tandy with me, who uh, is the man at the head of this, although everybody here tells me he never does any work here. So he's always away doing other stuff, driving cars. Uh, Nick, uh, congratulations on a very good season here at JTR. Uh, a pretty good season in your, I suppose, what you'd call your day job, driving as a works driver, Porsche 911 RSRs for Porsche GT North America teams. Um, got to ask you about Petit Le Mans. 
you went in there with a chance of the championship was an outside one, but you were leading the Michelin Endurance Cup and something didn't go quite right at the four hour mark. You were one hour and 43 seconds short of get, uh, sorry, one minute and 43 seconds short, two laps short of getting the points that would have actually given you the championship. Uh, have you got just too heavy a right foot? What happened? Um, we miscalculated. <laughs> The idea was, we ca- we came in off, we we wanted to lead the four hour mark. Mm-hmm. That was the whole idea. You and had a six um, point lead going yeah, into that. I know, I know. So we came in, we pitted early, we short filled. Yes. And um, I mean, the idea was to pull pull the fuel on the tyres because um, we thought that would be enough fuel to to make it. I think it was about thirty five, forty minutes or so. And of course, the boys got the tyres done in record time. So the car went down, the fueler pulled. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we the guys <laughs> doing actually too good a job on the tyres is what cost you that. Basically, yeah. But then we, you know, somewhere along 36 the line... 36 minutes you came in after, and you needed to do about 38, 37 and a yeah. half, 38. I mean, it was tight, but it was two laps. We miscalculated somewhere, whether it was the fuel that we had remaining in the tank when we pitted or the obviously the amount that went in. But uh, we knew we were short as soon as we went out, and we had to save about... 10% of fuel per lap for the next 35 minutes or so. But yeah, it was um, it was a surprise to everyone when the, the poxy fuel light came on and we still had two laps to go to the... To and the there's not two mark. laps when the fuel light comes on, is there not? No, there isn't. You can maybe stretch one and a half at One su- and a half is no good though, is it? No. <laughs> so, yeah. So not five only, miles short of a championship. Not only did we mess all that up and, and lose the endurance championship, but it put us behind on strategy for the kind of the rest of the race, and uh, we started falling back, and it, it all kind of derailed from that point onwards. But it was a good tactic, mm-hmm. and I was fully up for it. Yes. You know, I pushed the guys to say, let's try and you know, let's try and score these points because the, the odds of winning the endurance cup were a lot better than yes, winning yes, the drivers' championship. So uh, it was a good strategy, just uh, one that we messed up. <laughs> Even the best can make mistakes at, at times. All in all, though, when you look back on the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, three victories in three big races, uh, competitive all the year round with the outgoing car, the 17 RSR, new car to come next year. Just sum up the season uh, for, for you in the 911 car with Pela. It's been a good year. Um, like you say, we've won, we won three races out of 11, so it's not a bad hit rate. Um, obviously for Porsche it's been a, an amazing season but yeah from from our side we've gone to Watkins Glen lots of times and kind of never really featured so that was a big one that we've always wanted to win um, so to win there was good obviously Sebring you know whenever you win Sebring it's it's mega mm. um, Sebring you must have taken a huge amount of pleasure in winning Sebring because, quite frankly, and don't take this the wrong way, but you guys were absolutely nowhere yep. early on. It, it, it looked awful. You had to pit early. The rain wasn't helping. I mean, that looked that race looked like a write-off in the first hour, to be honest. Yeah, you're right. We were rubbish. and We were rubbish in the, in the rain at the start. And even in the middle of the day when it dried out, we were still slow. <laughs> but we, we kind of just hung around. And then the, when the temperature dropped, we just, the, the tyres switched on, you know. And all of a sudden we could match it. And, uh, yeah, it was one of them races which is good because you win it not by just being out front and cruising away. We had to work hard. And the last two, the last two stints, um, you know, the pressure was on to... I think the thing that won it in the end for us was the in and out laps. Yes. Um, and the out laps on cold tyres, and that's um, 
that's something that we've really been pushing all season, all the drivers and getting the car tuned and the tyre, you know, because obviously you, you've got options on tyres yes. before you go into the season. And, you know, it's very different in IMSA when you've got cold tyres to the tyres that maybe got a good performance when they come out the warmers at uh, Le Mans or in the in the WEC. So, uh, and it is WEC compounds now that you guys have got. Does it give you more pleasure to have won a race like that where things were so bad than just getting on pole position and driving away? I mean, a win's a win. There's no asterisk in the, the record book. But in terms of you as a driver and the 911 squad as a team, is it slightly more rewarding? It is. It's way more rewarding. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we went to Virginia, for example, mm-hmm. and we had a we had a dominant car. Mm-hmm. The, both cars, the tyres really worked on that surface. And, uh, you know, it was it was quite a... An, an easy it was a good fight between the pair pair of us but yeah you know when you've when you come from from behind and uh it's like everything builds and builds and the tension builds and and it's that when you've got this big tension going on whether you're in the car or, or on the on the pit wall um yeah when you finally finish and cross the line it's that it's just it's just mega and god it was a 12 hour race eh? (laughs) (laughs) but that's why you never give up in those long races isn't it and you know it it can look hopeless as it absolutely did at Sebring in the opening hour or so but you know and even later on it still didn't look and I I kept waiting for you guys to get switched on and start and I thought this is still not looking great did you drop off the lead lap at one stage as well yeah we did yeah Yeah. there's something I think it happened twice in a row Mm -hmm. Um, Atlanta last year when we won Petit in the middle of the race again, we were nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember sending a, uh, a text to the missus and saying, you know, oh, I don't really want to get back in, and we're just going. With, no, this is going to be rubbish. <laughs> six <laughs> hours are just the yeah. last six hours are just going to be us driving around for no point. Yeah, and she said she, she was like, never give up. You know, you never know what's going to happen. And it, and it proved it proved right. Mm. And uh, and I did exactly the same thing again in Sebring. And she said, you know, look at Petit last year, never mm-hmm. give up. Mm-hmm. And we didn't. And um, and it was good, you know. It, it proves that uh, you know you've just got to be in and around these races and hope that uh, the car and the track comes to you towards the end. So pretty good season. It didn't this year? <laughs> no, true. <laughs> pretty good season then in America on tracks that we all love racing on. And I know you as drive as a as a driver love the American tracks. Uh, we've sent the 17 RSR off now with a, a championship win. The 19 car, as we're calling it, already started its championship in WEC, of course. That was getting tested at uh, Road Atlanta the Monday after Petit. And it starts all over again at the Raw, so not a huge amount of time. Big, big, big promotion with Coca-Cola of Petit Le Mans. And that actually gave... We've talked about that loads, people have heard about that. But that did give you an opportunity to do something very, very cool and very, very special on the Sunday. And I did hear from the guys at Porsche that when it was first mentioned to you, you were actually shaking with excitement. <laughs> it's Dager, baby. Yeah, it's... Um, I think it all came about the week leading up to the mm. race. And uh, I believe the invitation actually came from Mr. France himself. So, uh, you know, when you get that sort of invitation, you, you don't turn it down. And um, when they said... Yeah, we're going to take a car and run a couple of laps around Talladega. How quick was your hand go up at that point? <laughs> well, they, they didn't even offer it to anyone else. Um, there was know. a thought that Earl might have done it, you know, because he had a, he's got a bit of, you know, sort of stock car, big V8 experience. Well, me and him are like the biggest NASCAR fans in the paddock. I know you are. <laughs> but uh, there was a... Whoever won the championship had to stay behind 
um, <laughs> for rehearsals at the banquet. So it was either going to be me or Earl, and uh, the chances of us winning were pretty slim. Okay. So yeah, it was um, it was asked if I would like to go, and uh, of course I said yes, and uh, and it was mega. Yeah. And you have to explain to everybody why you have the affinity with oval racing in the states because that's your background over here. You didn't come up the the classic go karts karting from eight year old did you no i've never raced a go-kart um yeah grew up circle track racing mm-hmm. um there's a big as you know there's a big short short oval scene over here in the Ooh. uk um i've still got one of my dad's hot rods inside the workshop that you've just seen uh yeah so you know way before i knew what le mans was or what a formula one car looked like i was watching dale earnhardt rusty wallace mm-hmm. bill elliott and those boys race around Charlotte and Talladega and Daytona. And no doubt going down to Northampton Speedway and watching the World Finals as well, which I've done as well and love it. Exactly. It's just down the road from here. So mm. that's where I grew up. You know, it's um, on that sort of racing scene. So it holds a, yeah, a special place in my And Talladega, heart. man. Talladega. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, that and Daytona. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of other places, some of the shorter tracks. Martinsville's coming up soon. Um, Bristol, obviously, particularly for the night race. But Talladega for a super speedway, it is, it is one of the iconic places that NASCAR go to. And you've got to do it. Every picture I saw of you, whether you were in the car or out the car, I could just tell you had a smile a, a mile wide. Had you been to Dega before? No, no, never been. So the only time you go... The first time you go, you get to drive on the track. I know, it's mega, isn't it? Oh, it it's man. immense as well. The, the place is just, I mean, Daytona's big, and I thought, you know, it's, it's not that much bigger, but when you actually get inside the, inside the track and kind of look, look out, it's, not, uh, it's perhaps not quite so enclosed around the, mm. the, the, the front stretch banking as Daytona is, so it looks kind of more open. Mm. But then when you get on track, it's, you know, it's another lane wide. Yes. And even though it's got more banking than Daytona in, in angle... It seems less because the obviously the radius of the corner is more yes. open. Yes. So it's not like uh, driving up a brick wall like it is at yeah. Daytona. Now, in fairness, you were meant to do a couple of parade laps just before the formation laps for the big race for the 500 there, the 1,000 light bulb 500 or whatever it was uh, at the weekend. And uh, but the guys took it pretty seriously. They'd been looking at some data from Daytona in terms of the banking and stuff like that. Is that true? Yeah, just to, just for. <laughs> fanboy stuff okay there was nothing no it was so no gearbox or ratio changes or anything like that so you were running the car pretty much as it had come off the track at a two and a half mile road circuit at road atlanta exactly we did think about taking the spare car actually and putting the the long ratio box in but then when we were told that uh that we were going to be requested to kind of obey a speed limit we thought oh, i heard just... that was meant to be 100 miles an hour the video yeah, i've seen yeah. perhaps wasn't quite <laughs> It that. was around 100. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but there was no way you were going to... And, and as everybody said, even the guys from Porsche, who I know were egging you on, Dave Engelman, Scott Bartlett, all those guys, what are they going to do to him? Tell him to go <laughs> home. He's had his two laps. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we literally cleaned the car after the race, changed the dive planes, which somebody broke during the race, um, and, and took the car there. Yeah, mm. so it was as it came off the track. Bolt with some some customer tyres on and uh, yeah, warm the rears up on the way out. And, that was uh, very good. I saw that. Had a play, yeah. Couple of outstanding burnouts, including one up the banking, which was fantastic. You really enjoyed that, and the crowd loved it. Uh, we might actually be releasing the onboard footage at some point. I'd love Radio to see show it. exclusive right. for you, John. So right. uh, 
yeah, keep your eyes open for that. I, I love the sound of that. I, I just thought of Top Gun, Danger Zone, uh, Ghost Rider to Tower, requesting flyby, negative, the pattern <laughs> is full. But you went for it anyway on the front straight, and that dropped down the gear and throttling up. And that car, with those exhausts, without the mufflers on, in that setting, the noise was immense. And the crowd, 80,000 people there waiting for the NASCAR race, to, the Monster Energy Cup race to, to start. They went ballistic. Yeah, it was mega. I was surprised by the reaction, actually. Um, I guess a lot of the people there don't get to see that sort of car or our cars very often. So, um, yeah, I think people loved it. It was, you know, even people from the, from the garage, um, you know, Crew, crew people and stuff like that were coming over and having a look around and talking to us so it went down well it was good let's uh, I'm pleased you got to do that and I'm very disappointed that I got stuck in meetings and couldn't get down the three hours down the road which I was going to come and come and watch um, let's talk about JTR uh, what a fabulous year you've had uh, Porsche Carrera Cup Great Britain champions did it before the end of the season I've just seen the car with its gold roof on reflecting your short track routes that is any Carrera Cup, any national Carrera Cup series is competitive because of the nature of the championship. So you guys have worked hard and the guys here, all right, there's nobody standing out here now, so you can see it. They've worked well this year, haven't they? <laughs> they have. It's like any team. It's, it's not about the individual. It's about how people work together. And, um, you know, I said to the... Only got, we only got back yesterday, of course, and the, the last weekend was Brands this weekend. Um, so I only saw them yesterday. You know, and we've had two years now where there hasn't been a single, a single technical failure or any sort of operational error, and um, yeah, that's down to um, to Nick Madge and the, the boys here and, and the, the the people that come with us. And uh, yeah, I'm really proud of it. It's um, I remember when when we were winning quite a lot in the Formula Ford stuff when we were racing the Formula stuff. We were three-time British champions in that, and uh, it was kind of just what we did. If you, if you like, I, I didn't really appreciate the the magnitude of your achievement, if you like. So, yeah, it's 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 great. Um, running the team is something that I never thought I would be doing. How hands-on can you be in terms of running the team? Because obviously you're a works Porsche driver, so you've got racing in the states, which is travelling which I know is, you know, it, it doesn't matter which part of the plane you're sitting in and if you can blag yourself and upgrade, it's a nicer seat, but it's still seven, eight, nine, ten hours on a plane in either either direction where you really can't be doing anything else because you're sleeping or trying to get yourself ready to go to work when you get there. So how hands-on can you be? I mean, I'm I'm the, um, the manager, if you like. So, I mean, like a lot of things, you don't actually have to be there in person to, right. to sort stuff out. Obviously, when we are... Um, when we're here, and I'll probably go to more than half the, the race weekends and most of the testing. Um, you know, Did the lads let you actually do anything? I do a bit of driving now and again as well, just to keep sharp during the winter. Don't tell my colleagues that. But, uh, it's, um, it's, it's, it's busy, I won't lie to you. Um, it is a, it's at least a full-time job, you know, doing this, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, and I know when I started with Porsche uh, as a factory driver, I didn't, you know, I didn't want them to know kind of how much <laughs> time and kind of effort that that goes into into the race team side of it but since kind of Timo started up team 75 mm-hmm. um they they went back into the Carrera Cup and and then Earl um started racing Carrera Cup in in Asia mm-hmm. um 
I, it sort of seems that it's kind of a bit more acceptable, and they quite like it. So, you know, how about I don't a joint effort between? No, that's right. How about a joint effort between you, Timor, and Earl to take a GT3 car to Bathurst? Well, I was talking to Earl about a spa entry actually, at some point. <laughs> we just need a car, a joint GTR EBM car. Exactly. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I think that's so long as neither of you are actually running it. Get Timo to run it, and then get you two to drive in it. <laughs> yeah, because Earl's got a lot of the endurance kit that you need, yeah. obviously, to run um, uh, run the cars at Bathurst and. Uh, and whatnot, and obviously we've got the truck and the the people and everything over here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll talk to Pascal about it in the future at some point. But obviously the racing comes first. Oh yes, Porsche. yes, yes. And um, yeah, it's it's good to have both. It's good to see things from both sides as well. Yes, that's something that I've also learned. You know, and and you always learn things from other drivers. Mm-hmm. People like Dan, you know Harper. Mm-hmm. The, the stuff that he does in the car is just exceptional. I, you know, I, I watch his stuff all the time yeah. you know, from a critique point of view. And, uh, you know, you, and you, never, you never stop learning. So it's, it's good for my driving to be, to be in this position as well, I think. It, uh, it's one reason I keep my race license up when I don't race enough. And I know I'm not very particularly competitive in terms of my lap times. I'm still competitive in my head. We all are, otherwise you'd never get behind a wheel. But it gives me that ability to see things through other people's eyes. And you running the team, I guess, does does something similar. It gives you a, a broader understanding of a different part of the sport. Yeah, that's it. You see it from a from a team manager's point of view, from an engineer's point of view, but also from a driver's. So, yeah, Has it, it made you it a better, better driver, easier to manage from team management point, or do you still get a bit grumpy? You'd have to ask Michael that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope so, and I think so, because... Um, you know, there's things that obviously when we're racing that you'd like thing, it to be better, but you appreciate that only so much can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you appreciate the, the time and effort that goes into small things and the money that's involved, mm-hmm. um, of course, of running, you know, racing cars. So I think it gives you a better understanding of the whole sport, yeah. It benefits my my job as a, as a driver with Porsche. I have to say that, Nick Tandy is a complete petrol head, by the way, because aside from the beautifully turned out JTR Team Porsche Carrera Cup Great Britain uh, trailer that's here, all the bits and pieces for the two race cars that they have been running this season, and presumably the same next year, and we've reset to zero already, of course, with the, the championship over. So two more Carrera Cup cars next year? I hope so. At least, yeah. Ooh, OK, come back as defending champions. Um, there's two Ford Cup in there, KAs in there, which are being prepped for endurance car racing, which I saw at Donington when I was racing the Radicals earlier this year. It looks excellent fun. And rumour has it that whilst one of those is going to be a quote-unquote customer car, one of those is for one Mr Entanti Esquire. Is that true? Uh, it could be, yes. I There's an event called the Brands Hatch Indy 500 at the end, end of the season in November, which is 500 laps, minutes. 500 minutes, sorry, of the, of the Brands Hatch Indy circuit, the short circuit, and they're going to run 2,224,000 car on it. Actually, there'll be, I, bet there's, I bet there'll be 35, 40 cars there. It sounds brilliantly bonkers and very British club racingly brilliant. Yeah, it all came about, to be honest, because from the age of, I don't know, when I was about 12, you know, my dad, if I wanted to go racing, I had to to build the car, you know. If I wanted to go racing, you've got to get the car ready. 
and um, you know that I always built and ran me me and my brother mm. our own cars until well what was it until I started racing Porsche in 2010 wow. all the way up to F3 there were still our own cars um, you know and I had to I worked on racing cars as a necessity to go racing yeah. and it was a pain in the ass I used to despise it <laughs> you know coming out here in the middle of winter in the, the freezing cold and you know having to get on and get the cars prepped um, so since yeah since 2010 I haven't really worked on racing cars and I've kind of missed it the last couple of years so I thought this year I'm, I'm going to build a racing car again and uh, and I'm a big Ford man uh, as you've seen with the, the other toys that I've got mm-hmm. in the workshop um, I saw this Enduro car and it's run by MSV mm-hmm. um, good, good we know um, Jonathan and Giles very well mm-hmm. and Bedford Autodrome's just up the road mm-hmm. so I thought yeah we'll give it a go and then I spoke to some other people about parts for it and they said oh yeah that'd be a great idea I'd love to do that sort of thing and, uh, and then the idea came to, to get another one but I kind of wish I hadn't now <laughs> It's, there's a lot of work that goes into to but, racing cars. But isn't it, we were talking about rewarding earlier on, isn't it lovely, though, to start with something, and in this case you start with something that is a relatively cheap street car, road car, um, road car, uh, actually, and turning it into a racing car. So there's a sense of achievement there, and whilst you're not necessarily fulfilling that little Ford car's destiny of running around, going to the supermarket and back, you're giving it a new life, and it's better than it going to the scrap heap, surely. <laughs> It is. But the trouble is, they. I, I went to watch a race at Brands. It was a. Um, there were sprint races they had earlier in the season, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, they're they're the kind of car. If you go sideways into the gravel at Paddock, it's going over and over and over. And you know, I've been building this thing for probably six months now, putting you know my heart and soul into it, and I could end up you know turning it into a ball on lap one. But uh, well, you know, there's, there's a, a way not for that not to happen. Don't go in the gravel. <laughs> Certainly not sideways. Yeah, I've said that before, but I have been in the gravel at Paddock a few times before, John. How many front-wheel drive cars have you raced? Uh, raced mm. a few. Well, only minis, actually. Right. Tested okay. one of David's touring cars, right. the Focus, at Brands once. But, yeah, bought uh, them. Yeah. All right, okay. Um, okay, how many front-wheel drive race cars, let's call it a touring car, um, have you raced with 67 horsepower? <laughs> <laughs> I've raced one with less, actually. The, really? old, the old mini stocks, yeah. We used to have to run a 20, 20 mil restrictor, so yes. they had about 45 horsepower, I think. But uh, we were only 11 years old, so it, it felt quick at that time. But good back to your roots, Tandy. Yeah, that's it. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Can't wait. I'm not around, unfortunately, but I want, I want a full report. Nick, congratulations on a great season as a driver, as a team owner. The guys have worked hard, and we wish you and JTR all the best. Thank you very much. So that was Nick Tandy, which I recorded last week, and it was going to be our big interview last week, of course, but the presidential announcement, John Doonan, uh, the new president at IMSA, sort of overtook us, and uh, Nick was kind enough to say, no, absolutely, hold it over for a week. I've also got to say a big thank you to JTR's Nick Madge, who made sure that my 968 Porsche is once again restored to full Porsche-ness uh, with a period 1995 bonnet emblem badge uh, on the front of that which uh, thanks to Peter Snowy Snowden and uh, former British GT champion Callum Lockie managed to source uh, for me after 
the trials and tribulations I had with that. Listening in to that intently uh, was Shea Adam, and we'll take some more sports car news uh, from Shea as well as some US news as well. Hello, Shea. Hello. You just got to love Nick Tandy and his enthusiasm about driving anything Anything. i I can't wait to see him in that i'm sure he's going to put on boards in that little ford car um which as you heard there had 67 horsepower something a little different but i love the (laughs) idea of 500 the brands hatch indy 500 because it's 500 uh, minutes or whatever it is yes 500 minutes around the indy circuit or whatever it was certainly wasn't 500 laps but anyway i love the idea it's a shame uh, we're actually where are we oh i think we're at sebring for the encore uh, for that which is what i was talking about um let, let's stay with actually uh, brilliant season for porsche uh, and for for nick uh, and patrick Pelier and lawrence vanto and earl bamba in imza competition um but we are Losing when he goes back next year with the new 19 RSR, uh, he's going to have a, a doughty competitor. Will not be on the grid in GT Le Mans. In the fact that we've heard that Jan Magnussen. Now this has been brewing for a while. Uh, we've kind of skirted around it because it wasn't, as we often say, it wasn't our announcement to make. Jan Magnussen. Um, what was the, the terminology? Stepping away, stepping aside. Um, it's an odd one, isn't it? But he's no, effectively no longer from next year, uh, or from now, in fact, will he be a Corvette racing driver in a, in a career that's been outstanding, Shea? He is still, John, the only driver in this one at every single one of the tracks that IMSA races at, regardless of the fact that his story of class go to that circuit. So he got a win at Belle Isle back uh, in the early 2000s. GTLM doesn't even race at Belle Isle, so nobody else can say that they've attained that level of status that Jan has been able to get to. We're looking at a guy who's won three championships in GTLM in the last five years, six years. Sure, they didn't get a win in the last two seasons, but they still got a championship out of one of those. Jan Magnussen, who all of his fellow competitors still regard as one of the hardest people to pass on the racetrack, just because he can outbreak you at any corner in any car (laughs) sort of feature. He's not stepping away from racing. That's very important. And he's not necessarily even stepping away from There are still people who desperately want a Jan Magnussen in their car. Well, uh, and let's not forget, Shea, all right, uh, everybody's majoring on... 16 years at Corvette Racing, 156 race starts, 35 wins, four championships. Um, Those are impressive stats. Uh, There's more than that. You can never just rate a driver like that. He's been doing touring cars during that time, Uh, front-wheel drive touring cars uh, over in his native uh, Scandinavia. Before Before that, I remember him as a Panos factory uh, prototype driver with David Brabham. And, And to your point about outbreaking anybody i remember talking to the michelin tire engineers back in those days and saying oh i can tell you which one of jan's tires because he's the guy who takes the most pace into the apex of any given corner on any track that we race on um (laughs) we actually don't know how what he does he basically just throws it at the apex and deals with whatever's happening and then finds a way (laughs) to get out of it and he does that with you know he does that Uh... with such consistency but this is a driver yeah. that a lot of people will say, ah, yeah, uh, you know, 
16 years, decade and a half, at Corvette Racing. Uh, it's got to change. But he had a life before Corvette. And well, yeah. how old's he now? 46? He's, he's got a potential life after it as well, surely? No, he definitely does. And it's funny that you mentioned that Danish touring car thing. Basically, it's like Trans Am, but for the Danes. And I remember one time, this we're probably going back 10 years ago now, John. I went up to Moroso one day with Dad just to see some of the beautiful Porsches that were running around. And the Danish touring cars were the support race. Jan Magnus, after the first lap, had a five-second lead on the entire field. By the end of the race, he was lapping backwards. And it was one of those things that I went up to him after the race and said, why are you doing this? Isn't it like clubbing baby seals? And he said, no, it's good practice. Yeah. Driving a race car, it's good practice. And, you know, it, that's just Magnuson's sort of way. But you're completely correct. He did a year of carts in between oh, two yes. stints in Formula One. I mean, the guy has driven literally everything under the sun. And I think that stepping away from Corvette racing is necessarily a bad thing. This opens the door back for him to do as many other things as he possibly can. Um, not a great line to you at the moment, Cher, but we'll, we'll, we'll press on um, here on Midweek Motorsport, episode 40. Can you believe that this year uh, already? Wow. Um, not again, file under, not our decision to make. There's been a, an alternate amount of rumour uh, and speculation about who will possibly take over. We'll leave that to one side. Uh, you get to see these guys yeah. in the pits. You get to see them uh, more often than I do. Do you get the feeling from Jan that this was something that he was planning for? Certainly, he seems to have been aware <laughs> aware about it. But but I, I don't I don't think it's necessarily. We may be reading too much into this. Not necessarily his decision to step away. And I get the feeling, just from very limited dealings with him, that he would have quite liked to have a go with the new car. Yeah, this is can definitely be chalked up to uh, not his decision, not his choice, not his wish. But genuinely, how many people do you know who are at the top of their game? He was the defending champion until the checkered flag of Petit Le Mans, keep in mind, which was also the last time that we now know he'll, he will drive a Corvette E7R, which was effective, but the last time a Corvette in GTL. Yeah, not, not his move, not what he wanted to make. Um, but again, as I said, I'm not expecting to not see him at Daytona in manner or another. He's a platinum-based driver, so he can't race the Michelin Pilot Challenge. But he can still race in GTD. I mean, think about how many options there would be for him against, say, Bleak Mullen, Brian Sellers. I mean, I'm, I'm smiling just at thinking about that. He could race in LMP2 if he wanted to. He could race overall. There are many opportunities for Yan, and even though this wasn't the way that he necessarily wanted to end his career in GTLM, again, I'm not looking at the worst worst thing in the world. So uh, let's have a bit of speculation then, Shea. You've mentioned a few of the categories. Um, a couple of other things that we need to pick up off the back of Petit Le Mans uh, a couple of weekends ago. A fabulous end of season. We'll do our end of season review uh, another time, so let's not get into that ground. But um, we know now that we, we knew or we thought we knew that Action Express wouldn't be uh, partnered again with Mustang sampling uh, a little bit mm -hmm. uh, of uh, a sadness there at the end of that race particularly for Joao Barbosa um, that's been a long term partnership uh, between that sponsor that partner and that team 
Um, but I'm he- hearing rather positive news from the paddock from both sides of that. We know that Action Express is still looking very hard to fund that second car, the number five Cadillac, the, with the 31 funding from Wheel and Engineering absolutely dialed in. That, that was all uh, fine and dandy some time ago. It would appear uh, that Action Express, as I say, working very hard. What becomes of that, we don't know. But certainly the other side of that is Mustang Sampling, as a sponsor, as a supporter of sports car racing, seem to want to stay involved in some way in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Paddock. Yes, they are not leaving. Uh, Ken and Brenda Thompson, who are the owners of Mustang Sampling, who are huge racing fans. I mean, there are fewer people in the paddock who are passionate about racing than those two. They're always sitting on the pit box. They're always around and love racing. But more than that, they love winning. They're not leaving IMSA. They both reassured me that they will see me next year. Ken gave me his little sly smile and said, I'm still going to be on a pit box. It's just going to be a slightly different one with a slightly different look to it. So I I didn't want to press him for any questions. I was just happy to hear that they will be back. Um, the other interesting thing is that Joao Barbosa, we were talking about emotion goodbyes and Jan Magnussen separating from Corvette Racing. Jan, it's an interesting situation with Joao Barbosa separating from Action Express, a team that's taken him to so many championships, so many successes, yes. two Daytona wins. But he is leaving the team, as has been announced. He also didn't say anything about retirement. How cool would it be to have an insert car here funded by Mustang Sampling with Joao Bravosa and, say, Jan Magnussen driving together? I mean, oh, I wow. think that would strike fear into the hearts of a lot of people in the past. I'm that, not saying that, that's going to happen. I was going to say, is that a genuine possibility or just something? I mean, we'd all love to see that happen. Well, but but the, the, with, with, with Mustang Sampling wanting to stay in the sport where... And, you know, we're not asking anybody, and certainly not you, to betray any confidences, but but where where is the potential? Would they look at a GTD team? No. The issue is, and we've we've got to be quite candid about this, and we're not telling tales out of school here because this has been discussed in the open, that the sort of investment required now for DPI is probably, actually, a little bit more than Mustang Sampling wants to... Uh, want to commit on a on an annual basis however that doesn't mean that there's not other opportunities so if if not gtd gtlm well that's a tough one because that tends to be factory programs hey there's some fords out there that uh, the guys at (laughs) ford ford motorsport would love to have um a, a partner like Mustang sampling. I'm not. I mean, people said you can't have Mustang on the side of a, a Cadillac. Can you have Mustang on the side of a Ford? Yeah. Oh, yes, you can. And Magnuson, Magnuson in a Ford with Mustang sampling on the side of it with Barbosa. <laughs> I mean, that's mouth watering. This is all pure speculation on oh, my part. But then, but then you go into the realms of. Um, DPI or LMP2, well, we know the state of LMP2, although there are a couple of teams who are looking for funding who want to come in LMP2. Shorter season, that might fit what Mustang Sampling uh, are looking to do. And there's all kinds of talk, um, which we won't go into necessarily deeply, but um, of, of additional customer cars being made available uh, from the manufacturers in, in DPI. The issue is... If, for me, if Mustang Sampling 
didn't want to commit as as much to get Action Express back on the on the grid in the five car, then is that a full budget? Will they have to go in with somebody else? Uh, is that a full car? Is it a part car? Is it a part season? Because we know that running the DPIs, I mean, realistically, what you're looking at, anything between four and six million dollars a year to run a car, a single car. Wayne Taylor's made no bones about that. Um, it's not an insubstantial amount of money, and that could be two or three quite major sponsors. Yeah, um, just touching on a couple of different things there that you opened up in my mind, a couple of things that you've uh, introduced to my caffeinated brain. The Wayne Taylor thing, his driver's not necessarily locked down for next year either, so that's something else to watch out mm-hmm. for. Could they be going to Wayne Taylor Racing? That's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Can Brenda love winning? Mustang grew very winning after getting two championships back. They got a lot of race wins between Joao and Christian. I think it was like 10 or 11 in three or four seasons for them. So it was a really good amount. They like winning. Could they be going to LMP2, a category where winning is, let's face it, the odds are a lot more in your favor that you will win. That's a possibility. But in terms of knowing them, I can't see them stepping away from the top class. Right. That's just where they like to be. Winning overall is something even more special. Yeah. So if it takes more of a budget, then that's what it's going to take. For what they were getting in terms of the results back, you look at this year. We had three wins from Mazda Team Yoast. We had three wins from Acura Team Penske. And three wins from Action Express. Not a factory-backed team. Good point. They don't have the big name associated and they still managed to get the same results that big bullies in the paddock. And I say that with affection. No, I saw They're you. names yeah. that you contend with. Yeah. They, they got the same results. That takes money. That takes people power. And that takes the best kind of people that money can buy. So if they choose to take their money to one of the lesser teams and hope that they can attract that same sort of muscle power, maybe – making it say, I don't know, I'm just pulling names out of a hat here, but say Junkos. Mm. Maybe they're thinking yes. that they can take a little team and build it into a powerhouse like Action. And again, this is just me talking off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. That could be an appealing an yes. appealing idea for them. Yes, that, that that's that's a that's a, a fair point. Uh Junkos I think it's quite significant. I know uh, everybody's saying, well they won't be back, they won't be back. Um Significant that they were back at Petite with what was a brand new chassis. Now, whether that was bought yes. or leased um, is, you know, not in my gift to be able to 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 say. But they they made the effort to come back. I thought that was significant. Uh, I still think Reese being back. There's a lot of people talking down uh, Imza at the moment and saying the sky is falling in. I think it's far from that. Uh, I thought Reese coming back with the the driver squad that they did. Um, I know that yeah. that they've always raced. Uh, the factory uh, drivers, but that particular squad of all the factory drivers that were available that weekend to give for for, mm-hmm. for Ferrari to give them the Le Mans winners, um, I think there's something going on there. And we know there's been a bit of um, uh, not ill feeling, but there's been a, a lot of negotiation having to go on between Giuseppe Ricci and and Ferrari, um, and also with IMSA as well to try and get that car. Back again, that signals to me, um, and I don't think I'm reading too much into this, but I think that signals an intent from all sides there. Uh, Reese yeah. got themselves back. Ferrari gave them the right drivers and clearly helped them out uh, as well. Um, so, I, you know, OK, we're going to lose 
possibly a car, a couple of cars, as far as the prototypes is concerned. But we might be getting one or two back in terms of new P2s, and maybe uh, I hear uh, at least one, possibly more new DPIs uh, coming in with existing and manufacturers. And in GT, all right, we're losing the Fords for at least most of the season. But I'm hearing that we're going to get a minimum of three new GTD teams right. to the sport. So that will really bolster the paddock wow. as well. Wow. Uh, in, in an already, I mean, GTD is, is almost a victim of its own success uh, this year with, yeah. uh, what is it, six of the eight manufacturers having taken a win, uh, all eight manufacturers having uh, raced inside the top three uh, at various times across the season on genuine pace. Um, I mean, that, I, I understand why people look at GTD with, with some affection and also from outside the IMSA paddock with some envy. Um, that, that's almost taking over. And, and there are people who are saying, right, it's time to ditch GT Le Mans and let GTD be the, <laughs> the, the class or somehow combine them. I've got to say, I, I, I disagree with that on both counts. Uh, GT Le Mans is the Le Mans class. There's a reason that those ca classes are there. The manufacturers who are involved in that are the manufacturers who spend activation money with, with IMSA, whereas privateer teams mm -hmm. racing customer at customer level don't necessarily do that. Some of the customers, uh, some of the OEM, some of the manufacturers who have customer teams do activate, um, but some of them don't, and certainly not on the level of the of the works teams in in GT. At GT Le Mans, um, I, 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 it would be, I think it would be a, a shame and possibly a mi mistake for IMSA to even consider either combining or losing, combining the two GTs, uh, classes or losing GT uh, Le Mans. So plenty of positivity. You were at the, the banquet, which looked uh, a lot of fun uh, as well. I was already travelling oh, home by then. I mean, again, slightly straying onto our review, but we'll, we'll do it in detail. Um, later on in the year, I saw a lot of happy faces. Um, I was at uh, Chateau Alain on early on Sunday morning um, before the, the banquet, but bumped into a few people, even people who hadn't won titles, lots of happy faces. Generally speaking, a pretty good atmosphere within the IMSA paddock and a lot of people saying they want to come back. So that's got to be good, hasn't it? It's really heartwarming. I, to me, the banquet is worth every penny of staying an extra day. It, the, the wear and tear of having one less day at home. You know, it, it's it's so nice to see people finally. And we get a little bit of this, John, eating at Marion's because there are no Correct. divisions there. Everybody can eat with each other, but not everyone eats at Marion's. So when you go to the banquet, you really get that feeling of all the walls are down. People aren't trying to hide anything from anyone else. They're just being honest, having a good time. You've got people who are sharing drinks with people that they were nerfing off the track the day before. And quite literally, I saw that happen a couple of times. You just get such a relaxed, comfortable attitude from everyone. And it's a bit like when the family gets together for Christmas dinner because everybody is there. We're serving a purpose. We're honoring our champions, in this case, honoring an outgoing president in the form of Scott Atherton as well. Yeah. You're acknowledging all the effort from all the sponsors over the course of the year. And then once those festivities are over, everybody gets to open their presents and hang out. It, it's a wonderful thing. And by the way, everybody gets to not wear their 
team branded clothing and fire suits and you get to dress up a little bit which is also kind of half the fun yeah absolutely agree um just a a couple of other bits and pieces that uh came out of uh the last week since you and i have talk talked uh right motorsports two 911 gt3 r's um, we're not sure yes. where yet. This is interesting. Uh, the, the strong rumour, uh, as reported uh, a, about a week ago, I think, on uh, by Daniel Lloyd on, over on Sportscar 365, that they will uh, come back to a full-time return to the IMSA WeatherTech Sportscar Championship. GTD, it's John Wright, of course. Yeah. Um, so that's good. And that would be for Ryan, Hardri- ha- Ryan Hardwick, who's been... Uh, doing a bit of GTD with Paul Miller Racing this season. Yeah, and a very um, acrimonious split up between Hardwick and Paul Miller. Of course, he got injured at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park halfway through the year. It was in a, a practice session, I want to say, yeah, like practice ACL, two or practice three. I mean, that's that's all. That's a, that's a, yeah. a stick and ball injury. You would have thought, wouldn't you? No, exactly. But he left the team uh, after his injury. He didn't actually, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say he left the team. He stopped driving after his injury. He had to have knee surgery to replace uh, the torn ligaments in the ACL. And he has been recovering. He's been posting a lot about it on social media. But he was not sitting on the Paul Miller pit box at uh, Petit Le Mans, which was significant because that is his home race. He was planning to come to it. He'd flown or driven to VIR. I mean, he was there as a part of the team for a lot of the significant races, but he was not there for race, and he was texting people sitting with their backs toward the pit lane, so I could read those text messages, not the smartest thing in the world, guys, when you're in the (laughs) middle of the race, um, saying some less-than-kind things about the Paul Miller team, which was not the nicest thing in the world. And then, you know, of course, Corey Lewis goes on to get his second pole in a row, Paul Miller Racing, we we don't know. Brian Sellers said it in one of our practice sessions when he was kind enough to come in the booth with you and Jeremy. We don't know the situation. We very rarely do at this stage of the season know what's going to be happening for next year. But you have to expect that with Lamborghini losing Magnus Racing, they no longer exist, sadly. Um, but with them losing Magnus, they've got to be putting all of their eggs into one basket and you would think that that basket would have a nice little PMR logo on the side of it. Yeah. Brian Sellers, 2017 champion. You can't deny that there's anything that he's done wrong. But my big thing to watch out for, John, when do the driver ratings come out? Because that's always the sticking point. That should be the first week of December. And I think that is going to dictate a lot of the lineups that we have for 2020. Yeah, no, that's that's very good indeed. Just in the Midweek Motorsports Series, 14, episode number 40, Shea Adam is on the line. We're talking American uh, news with there. So that's a, a bit of sports car news from across the pond. Uh, we're right into the playoffs now for NASCAR and uh, if you're in the UK, you'll have been watching, and you are so equipped, you may well have been watching it on Free Sports. Uh, their deal, uh, Free Sports deal to actually air uh, football from uh, La Liga. Uh, no, not La Liga. It's um, Serie A. It's the Italian league. Um, their uh, deal to do that has put oh, that on the top. Actual football. Oh, yes. Actually, soccer, not hand egg. Yeah, football. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, well. <laughs> Yeah, but but that's actually worked really well for motorsport enthusiasts because the channel that we used to get NASCAR on, which was a subscription channel, is now the exclusive home of Serie A on a 
on a Sunday, uh, so right through the afternoon, and they always have evening games as well. That means that four of the last five NASCAR events have been live in full on their free to air. Free to view, free to view, free to air. But it's not a subscription channel anyway. You don't have to pay an additional subscription, oh. and it's in HD. So I sat down the last couple of weekends uh, to watch them. It was the um, Kansas Speedway event at the weekend, and very interesting race. I I thoroughly enjoy it. Lots of interest at the end as well, with a uh, going into overtime and then secondary overtime, green white checker, and a, a fabulous run to the flag that saw Denny Hamlin just shared it ahead of Chase Elliott with uh, yeah. the Bush Boys third and fourth ahead of William Byron, who had a really good run all day in the 24 uh, Chevrolet. How's that shaking up the playoff but, picture? Well, well t- talk about the race first. Really talk good... about the race first. Okay, so uh, didn't actually need the overtimes, in my opinion. It was that good of a race mm. without the green-white checker at the end that they were so ultra competitive and the freeze frame Daniel made a joke about it that when they threw the caution just before the final lap began which then did send them into overtime the guy who must have that that um, controller right in front of him reactions like a cheetah because the caution light came on when Denny Hamlin was less than a car length away from the start finish line if he had crossed or finish line, it would have ended the race. And same result, ultimately, he would have won. But it would have completely changed the playoff picture because three of the four Hendricks cars made the playoffs. Yeah. Three of the four Hendricks cars were in danger of being eliminated from the playoffs into the round of eight. It, pretty much, it was win or go home for all of them. So you mentioned William Byron with a good day. Yep, he did have a good day. He finished fifth. Fifth was not good enough no. for William Byron to move on. And if things had just completely seized up when that caution came out, if that had been the end of the race, there would have been no Hendricks cars into the finals, which now we're into the round of eight, which would have been the first time since the early 2000s or possibly even before, because Jimmy Johnson has been in the final round of the playoffs every year except last year. And that was represented by, I want to say Chase last year, or maybe Alex Bowman, can't remember. But in any case, that phenomenal run things would have come to an end. The crew for uh, Chase Elliott did a brilliant thing, though, John. They got on the radio and said, all right, you need to win to get in. That's it. Second's not going to work. Keep pushing. Go for it. Dig, 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 which was the case on the restart. But then Brad Keselowski, with a nightmarish restart, nothing of his own doing, the line in front of him just didn't move. He had to check up, and he wound up dropping from, I think, 12th to 19th. It ultimately cost him to drop below the line, and he misses the playoff cutoff three points or three positions on the racetrack. Good news is for Mr. Pence, he still has the opportunity to win a major championship in every championship in which he's contended this year because he does have two drivers into this round of eight. Ryan Blaney, who is the lowest on the cut line, I I should say the points completely reset after every three races in the NASCAR Monster Series. So everybody is back to 4,000 points, and then you get bonus points added on for how many stage wins you have across the year. Blaney is the lowest of the top eight right now with 4,009 points, so he's barely in. Kyle Larson also made it in, defending Chip Ganassi's honor. We've got Chase Elliott, the lone ranger in for Hendricks. He's in sixth. 
Kevin Harvick, of course, is in the playoffs. He's in fifth. Joey Logano, the other one of Mr. Penske's riders, the champion from last year, is in fourth. Then Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., and Kyle Busch, drivers from Joe Gibbs Racing. So Gibbs with very good odds for the coach. Uh, and in terms of the races that are to come, it's Martinsville uh, next, which yes. well, anything can happen at Martinsville, quite frankly. Then we're at Texas Motor Speedway, which is pretty much flat out all the way around. Uh, then we're yep. at ISM Speedway, um, see above, another quick place, and finishing off at Miami on your doorstep, uh, of course, on November the 17th. Uh, I, yeah, when we're at Coda. Yes, so, ideally, yes, of course. <laughs> um, so, uh, who, I mean, I don't even know what to say because anything can happen at Martinsville. Well, and we've seen in the last couple of races, teams really have to hustle with the six-minute rule for getting cars fixed on the pit lane before they've got to go back and having to be very careful about yeah. what they do. And at this stage of the playoffs, you really can't, as a playoff contender, one of the final eight, you can't afford to have a bad race right now unless somebody else in the playoffs does as well. Exactly. And you look at what happened at Talladega, that pretty much ended Hendrick's hopes of winning a championship because three of their three playoff cars got tangled together in one crash. But yeah. that's Talladega. Anything can happen. But we kind of expect the same thing a little bit from Texas. The thing that struck me, though, John, was watching during the race this weekend when they were at Kansas, a track not terribly dissimilar from Homestead. All right, there's no such thing as limits at Kansas, and they're very much are at Homestead. But there were a lot of drivers who were practicing running up against the wall. Blaney was doing it, and he yeah. actually did smack the wall pretty good at one stage. But the other person who was really focusing on that was Chase Elliott. And when he got out of the car after finishing second in the race, he said, we learned a lot. And he just kept saying that. We learned a lot. That makes me nervous if I'm going up against him in the final four. Now, if the awesome kid from Dawsonville can get it done and guarantee a, a place going into Homestead, You've got to be watching out for him. And, of course, Kyle Larson is the other one who, for whatever reason, just seems to always go well at Homestead. But we're, we're going to have a lot to watch and talk about while we're doing the Coda 24 because the uh, season finale, Sunday, November 17th at 3 in the afternoon. Remember, it's the last time that NASCAR is finishing up, at least for now, at Homestead. Yeah. There's a lot on the line with Miami. And, and with the changes that were made a couple of years ago, a couple of three seasons ago, opening up another groove, we might see a bit of side-by-side -side again because I really enjoyed D Talladega for three, three, three wide racing. Although I think at one stage we had five uh, wide, yes. albeit on a restart, but it, it wasn't just for an instant. Uh, I think we had five wide no. in Kansas, which was extremely... Extraordinary stuff, and I'm I'm really enjoying it again. I mean, it helps that it's easy for me to go and watch, and I can watch it live, or I can pick it up on one of the the replays, full race replays that we're getting in the UK now as well on that channel that, that um, I don't need to subscribe anymore to. So it's all good stuff. Uh, before I let you go, Shay, must have <laughs> a, a quick um, Miami Blue F1 uh, update. Um, we've been oh, chasing no. this story for a while. Um, what what's the latest? Uh, there will be a council meeting this week. Um, pretty much the, the most important you missed, John, uh, last week was me telling Tim the Hard Rock uh, Stadium and Formula One have agreed that a Formula One race should take place. Yeah, at no, the I, I remember that. Yeah, I but, remember that. 
Yeah, the, the city, the local residents, there are a lot of people who basically say, nah. Um, I got sent a message on Facebook today targeted towards me asking to fill in the blanks on a pre-written letter to send to the Miami Council, basically reminding them what good business is for small businesses wow. when Formula One comes to an area. Wow. It was very interesting that they ask you to fill in your zip code and then they want this because they want to take that toward the council meeting. Everybody on the local news is talking about it. This is not going because there are well, so many people against the race. Hmm. Um, it's yeah. Tuesday, uh, last Tuesday, Miami. Sorry, go ahead. We were just talking about Homestead Miami Speedway. Yeah. Here's an interesting aspect. They could have a Formula One race there because there's nobody to tell them they can't. Uh-huh. They're so far removed down there from everybody else that they're sort of in their own little universe. So if we're looking for a parking lot venue to hold a race, you're better trying it at an actual racetrack than you would at a football stadium. Uh, and I think you said this to uh, Tim last week. Uh, Steve Ross, who's the franchise and stadium owner for the Miami Dolphins, has uh, pretty much indicated that he would ha- he'd cover the infrastructure cost. $40 million is the, yes. is the spend to build the circuit and the immediate infrastructure. But the estimated and annual impact, uh, according to Sean Bratches and the CEO, who's F1's commercial director, of course, and the Miami Dolphins CEO, Tom Garfinkel, said uh, it's $400 million and 35,000 room nights. And they're describing it as an economic jug- juggernaut for South Florida each and every year. It, it, that's, ha- that's hard for people to... I know you said some of this last week, but that, that's hard for people to turn their backs on. And it's interesting that it's ramped up to uh, um, Miami or... Miami area residents like you, and you live north of, of, of Miami, uh, obviously, but yes. interesting that that's ramped up to you out in Fort Lauderdale as well. That, that That's sort of moving it forward another step, isn't it? Yeah, it is. They're, they're just trying to get names on this basically approach. But the problem with what they're saying, and as Tim pointed out, 35,000 room nights when you're basically a traveling circus that that in itself will be what a third of the room night correct uh it's not that much and the remainder of people where they will be staying uh, there's nowhere to stay that's safe around the stadium there's nowhere that people are going to be going out and getting a hotel there so the economic impact is not actually in miami gardens the the city itself ridiculously high crime rate it's not a very safe so you're talking about this economic impact that's not going to be applying to anybody to whom you're arguing that this is going to help. No. That's the biggest issue with Miami Gardens, and that's what they're saying, that, yeah, it would help Brickell and Aventura and Fort Lauderdale and Miami and everywhere else in South Beach, but nobody is going to come to the race and be in our little community, and that's why there's so much pushback on well, uh, in terms of the security aspect, as as Nick will no doubt remind us many times as this goes on, uh, look at where they're going this weekend. They're going to Mexico City. Uh, they've been to other places in South and Central America, Central and South America, if I do it that way around, where 
you know, um, even when we've raced in various places like Brazil, you you have to uh, go with the series transport. You're not allowed to drive yourself and all that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't know. Um, but th- what it seems to me, though, Shea, is that, to coin a phrase, we have turned a corner from somebody just talking about this to it actually building a bit of, of momentum. And we'll have to keep our eye on it. Shea, thanks for joining us uh, tonight. And um, I'm, I'm desperate to know what other flyers you're going to get through uh, on that in the future. Thanks, Shea. <laughs> I'll keep you posted. Thanks, John. Cheer Adam from uh, Fort Lauderdale and our Miami correspondent as well for the Formula One. Uh, That's about all the time we have for you tonight. Don't forget, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock on RS1, it's the Torah radio show. Thanks to Rob uh, up in London for twiddling the knobs tonight and to all of our guests as well. Uh, No time to explain uh, the llama. Oh, he's getting an Esther and booking a flight to Miami. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.